and we're back. <laughs> How's it been going? We haven't we haven't actually talked, even though a, a, an episode dropped last week no, and the week like, before. We have not talked in almost three weeks. Yeah, I was gonna say it's been about three weeks. Um, I want to clear the air with our audience. I want to clear the air with you. I have been like depressed. There's a lot of things going on right now that are really kind of stirring the pot in my situation. Um, I did get a lot of work done in my house, my condo, this place. That closet now has flooring in it. Um, there's a closet right around the corner there that now has flooring in it, which they have not had flooring since last September. Um, and I did that all. Yeah, I did that all over the last two weekends. Like, and then they were hard, but there were some hard cuts and it was just, it was a really big pain in the butt. And I was really anxiety ridden about doing it, which is why I've been putting it off. So I finally just said, you know what, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do this and I'm just going to work on it until it's done. And I actually managed to do it without getting angry and swearing and throwing things, um, which is usually what happens when I attempt a project like that. Um, that's why it's why I'm in therapy. I, um, learned, I learned a lot of swear words whenever my father would do stuff like that. So I, don't play <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I was just it was it was serene to be able to work on the place. Um, so I was able to like get some stuff done. And of course, by the time we podcast, I was exhausted and I'm like, I just don't, it was that. And like, there, you know, things are in the up in the air at work, of course. And, um, I don't feel like I have a ton of free time because I'm spending more time working during the day. And so like when it gets to the weekend, it's like Sunday is like the one day that I usually get to relax a little bit. When is it happening? Cause I run myself like ragged by the time we get to podcast time i'm just like sick or something um i've had horrible allergies you have too uh, yeah. we were talking about that the other night um and it's just it's just taking its toll and so like i'm starting to i think i'm starting to come out of it i see the light at the end of the tunnel i'm not gonna lie to the audience this stuff that's going on with covid right now the fact that we have these case counts where they are and the fact that you know clubs are closing across the country and and places are basically just not doing live music right now with exceptions um i know there's a couple places here that are still doing it uh it's just really difficult for me to accept that we're still in a situation where we can't we can't have some sort of like way for us to get out and play yeah um um, so just just like you i've been uh in in the gutter uh uh, had some family stuff that happened. Um, really can't. I really can't discuss. Uh, you know, but outside of that, um, and, I know enough. Uh, yeah, you know enough, and you, you, <laughs> plenty. It's, that's more than I would want to know. Um, uh, you don't know this. My car got hit today, so I have to deal with that. Uh, is it uh, totaled or it's, is it okay? No, it's drivable, but. Um, it's going to need a new, it needs, it's going to need new, a lot of new parts. Um, uh, the front end of that thing isn't cheap. Um, oh yeah. And any, and any work they do on those cars, they have to pull the whole front bumper and the whole, and the radiator and stuff off the car. It actually oh, swings yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. And the They're whole, wild. those are going to have to get replaced anyway. The whole bumper, mm-hmm. I should say, um, it's shot. And it, it, you know, those are things that happen and that's why we have insurance. That's why we. You know, we we do what we do. Um, also, yeah, so you got to coordinate all that, and and like anything else, in the middle of COVID nineteen, it's just that much more difficult. Oh yeah, and I got to I got to have a rent a car while I got my car, and I got to have right. And then uh, um, I've got uh, uh, that's going to be a few thousand dollars. I mean, not out of my pocket, but um, and then uh, I've got uh, um, 
I, I went and got a COVID test because of my um, everybody looks at you like you're a leper. When big you surprise. Die. No, it's like, yeah, but it's so funny because it's like big surprise. You had to have a COVID test. Yeah, like I know. Somebody right? at work had to have one and, and everybody's like, did you have COVID? Did you have COVID? It's yeah. like. Dude, I could get a COVID test. It like like oh my nose is running. I'm going. You know, yeah. like here we go. Yeah. Um. Uh, <laughs> I was told tell them you came in contact with somebody and gets it done faster. So that's why I did. But anyway, um, because like I don't know that I didn't. Um. So, uh, yeah, I did that. Um. And uh, so I I was surprised and shocked when I went to a waiting room where most people were wearing their masks half-assed and i wanted to say you know we're it i don't it, it ain't like that here i don't you're lucky go. if you see somebody in the waiting room with you yeah um, it, 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 the waiting room wasn't full but it wasn't it wasn't anywhere near as empty as it, it it's at 50 percent capacity and sure enough they had about 50 percent capacity uh, but anyway, I don't want to go down that hole. That's a whole yeah, 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 hole yeah, things. Yeah. We don't want to want to, we don't want to go down but the, the fact is that, that there's just been so many things going on um, that that uh, I didn't, I, I, and I've been like as far as like musically, even though there's some stuff that's that's allowing people back in. There's a select. I've got a gig coming up on December twentieth that may or may not mm-hmm. happen. I mean, it should happen. It's a, it's a yeah, Sunday I mean, afternoon gig. It's not really anything. But, but the fact that you're like it may ha- it may not like you're, you, right. I mean, that's literally the the reality for so many people right now. Right, but my, you know, I was just watching this channel called uh, uh, Cover Band, Cover Band Central or Cover Band Cooperative or something like that. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's it, and uh, I pretty much watched all their stuff in a day, so they don't really have a lot of um, content. Uh, <laughs> but um, they they talked about um, one of the one of the guys is in. They're like us. They're separated by states. One of the guys right. down in. Um, uh, Alabama and the other one's up in or no Atlanta Georgia and the other one's up in uh, North Carolina not really too far from me and um, so they're talking about different things and I listened to all the COVID shows and as they went through the COVID time they stopped doing it like w- we do a show anyway they stopped doing their whole show and they had like 18 minute 20 minute segments that's all they did um, and uh, talked about some of the things but anyway one of the things they talked about was you know selling your band and blah 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 and, how to get through this. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, they're, they're both coming from a place like us who have jobs that are not really, you know, affected. And you're not really, when you do that, and you're coming from that kind of place. Um, to me, it's not, it, 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 they had just interviewed a guy. This is the funny thing. This is the thing that, that brought this up. They had just interviewed a guy that, that, is from Rochester, New York area, Utica, whatever, now. Um, and he plays in the Finger Lakes area, and that's what he does, a professional professional cover musician. And he um, he's obviously out of work. Never brought him back, said, hey, how's it going? You know, how's your, how's your life now? Because the guy was talking about having to live out of his car and how he did this and how he did that and, and finally brought himself back up on his feet, so on and so forth. And then poof, yeah, he doesn't exist anymore. I'm thinking to myself, that's a perfect guy to get back on your show. Hey, what's up since this happened? Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, well, you know, we we had uh, Danny Raven on here. Yeah. And, I, and I've been watching the Marvin, like, YouTube channel and all the other things that are associated with him. And, like, 
it's pretty clear they're they're doing whatever they have to do at this point to get things going because they were literally up like playing gypsy jazz gigs in the park for tips. I mean, it's it's been pretty rough. Um, and that is the reality of being a professional musician during a pandemic. Yes. And I mean, that's this is a weird situation. It's a weird scenario. I, I think if anything, if anybody who lives through this situation um, as a musician and then, you know, comes out the other side, still a musician, um, which I which I'm assuming most of us probably will, uh, yep. you know, squirrel away some stuff, like put some money away, because we tend to live pretty to the hilt. I mean, I, at least I, I know that most of my friends have got a lot of money wrapped up in their gear and they don't really they don't really have a rainy day you know in case something happens if their gear gets stolen or whatever and you really got to prepare for that stuff insurance is a big deal we've talked about insurance on the show before i highly recommend at very minimum getting a writer on your homeowners um and if you are in a professional gigging band situation that has some sort of compensation going on and there's contracts and that kind of thing you're definitely going to need to get some musical instrument insurance it just in case your homeowners comes in and says, no, that's a business item. Um, you have to be very confident in, in your writer and how that works. So, but anyway, yeah, it's just, for me, I'm looking at this whole situation. I just say it's an ugly tunnel and I'm starting to see light at the end of it. You know, we're seeing these vaccines on the horizon and things. And I'm like, whether you're going to get it or not, the reality is a vaccine is probably going to clear a lot of this up and we're going to be back to gigging next year. Yeah. But it's going to be, it'll probably be late next year. That's yeah. that's what I'm figuring. Um, I'm hoping it'll be earlier next year, but it's probably going to be late next year. Now, that being said, so like, I've spent a good deal of the pandemic, you know, quote, unquote, working on music. Because that's what everybody says they're doing right now, right? I have written three or four songs, four songs, I think, when, since, uh, since the pandemic started. Um, and that is pitiful, in my opinion. Um, I should have been able to write a lot more than that, but because I'm going through a lot of emotional stuff as a result of being cooped up and um, doing all these different things, it's like, it's become a very difficult proposition, but something occurred to me the other night, I was um, having a conversation with one of our show listeners actually about gear and I'm sitting there going, you know, I'm spending an awful lot of time stressing out over like one particular piece of gear that I really shouldn't. Um, And I was kind of just like taken aback. And I realized to my, I realized for a second, I was like, I should be focusing on actually playing, which we've talked about on the show before. But not only that, like, I need to be playing every day in a specific way. So if that means that, like, I spend, you know, half hour coming up with new stuff and just record some riffs and, you know, that kind of thing. Or even if it's just like, hey, um, I need to be I need to be inspired to play or whatever. Um, and something occurred to me after I went to that to um the Great Lakes Guitar Pickups headquarters and got to play, you know, a bunch of different amps. And so this is like the first time I've actually sat down in a store that had, you know, unique stuff that I hadn't seen before. Um, and it, it opened my eyes to a lot of things. So I got the camper. It's sitting next to me. It's in its bag. It is now on reverb. Um, and there was a long thought process that actually went into this, but, and, and I've been talking about on the show, like potentially that Kemper's not going to stay with me forever. Um, it was never bought as a long-term thing. I think some people, cause I've had people actually reach out to me since I put the listing and threw it up on my Facebook page. I've had people reach out to me and be like, I'm surprised. And I'm like, why? Um, it, I don't have any attachment 
to, and I've said this on the show before, especially to digital gear, I don't really have any attachment to it. It does its job. It sounds like other stuff. And I'm more attached to that sound than I am the equipment itself. And so for me, it's like, if I really like this sound, I can go buy the real deal, you know, um, for the amount of money it costs. Actually, I think that's the, the, the Kemper's biggest Achilles heel. It's, it's for the powered one, it's $2,600 with the remote. And if you buy it without the remote, what are you doing? Like, if you're in a studio environment, that's one thing. And you're only going to use it as a studio tool. Maybe you don't need the remote. But the vast majority of people that are buying a Kemper are guys like me, you know, and and you got to get the remote with it. So you're going to spend a lot of money, right? Think about the things that you could buy with $2,600, yeah. right? The buying power that actually is. You can go get a handmade, boutique, hand-wired, turret-boarded amp from the likes of Greer or... uh oh, Yep, Milkman, or in my case, I'm looking at Doctor Z. Um, uh, what is it? Doesn't JHS have one? Don't yeah, have but one? I think there's there's is actually a Milkman. I think I think it is, and it's like a um, a special more more is more or more is better. Yeah, but but thing, yeah. yeah, louder is better or whatever. But yeah. anyway, I think uh, so. Even the Wampler amp is also, I believe, built built by Milkman or somebody like that. Um, but anyway, the, the point is. Okay, now I know everybody says, the Kemper does so much more. It does so much more, but it doesn't do it better. I mean, I, listen, it, it, is, it is like a facsimile, right? So right. if anybody has never done a Xerox copy in your life, you know that the Xerox copy looks pretty damn good. It looks virtually great, but there are drawbacks. Like, And I, and I've been, I, I feel that I've been straightforward with them on the show, but like some of the drawbacks are... Listen, if you don't have access to the real amp, you can't tweak it the way that you would. And so right. what you're going to end up with is I somebody else's profile that I'm attempting to, you know, add EQ on top of that to try and make it fit what I'm doing. Now, I've had good results with that. Um, I've been using uh, Tone Junkie pro- Profiles. He was on the show. Um, and yeah. honestly, that was part of the probably the biggest problem I had with, like, admitting to myself that I really only use, like, four sounds. I had Tone Junkie on here. And I'm like, I bought the everything pack. I got it. I got it at a deal. And I was kind of like going through these amps. And I'm like, none of this stuff really appeals to me. And I realized like, here, I got, I got 4,000 profiles or something. And it's like 4,000 profiles, but I don't need any of them. Um, I just want <laughs> a couple of good amps. Like, yeah. and I just need them in the room with me so I can just hit like three or four knobs and be done. Um, that's the other thing. So I used to be the guy that was like, I liked Mesa Boogies because they had a lot of control. I liked Rivera because they had the active EQ. I like, you know, so I liked the, the advanced idea of how you could tweak an amp and you could make it do all these different things. But as I get older, I'm realizing that's the dumbest thing for me to, to, for, for me to want, because that just means I'm just gonna sit there and twiddle knobs more, right? Like, I don't need that. I just want it to sound good. Like, I don't care if it's a tone knob or if it's a three band EQ, the presence, like I, I just don't need any of that. So the Kemper, the Kemper has a lot of hits and it has a couple of misses. Um, I've, I've made it very clear on the show that I didn't like the Kemper drives. Um, I don't, it's only been made worse. (laughs) I, well, it didn't get made worse. I mean, they enhanced it, but okay. 
So we'll we'll get there. But I want to talk about I actually want to talk about modulation for a minute. So one of the effects I rely upon, and the only thing I've ever actually built a preset for the for the Kemper like modulation wise, is Univibe, right? Like I've talked about the Univibe billion times on this show. Me like um, my Univibe and, back there. Right <laughs> and I I nailed it pretty much out of the gate. Like I had the thing a month, and I had figured out how to dial it the way I wanted it, and then I just basically stored it as a preset and I put it on everything. Um, I have a real Univibe. Like I have a, I have a unicorn, right? And I've had yeah. them as the, the Deja Vibe when it was like the, the thing. And I've had um, other Vibe pedals. I had the Viscous Vibe for a while and the, you know, Digital Vibes. Like that. This is not that great. It's okay. Um, but when I compared it to my unicorn, there really wasn't much comparison. Like the, the, the unicorn was definitely better. And it was just that the because it's all being done in software, I feel like it affects the tone differently than if it was being done in an analog way. It, it's just a weird, it's like a weird way to describe it, but it just wasn't doing certain things that the unicorn was doing. Like there was more depth to the unicorn. The unicorn was definitely more complex sounding. Um, like there was more harmonic distortion going on in there. And um, so I was, I was like, well, it's not a big deal. I can still use it as a tool of convenience. Right. Um, but when they were, when they actually did finally unleash new drives, and here's why I got frustrated, and we may have actually talked about this on the show, but they released, we did. they released the Kemper drive, which is one of the new drives, which I'll talk about here in a second, and then they released an OCD. But the OCD in there is pretty good. Um, I mean, again, it's still a digital emulation inside of a digital product, so your mileage may vary, right? It's like putting a putting a, uh, an OCD in the, in the, you know, line six pod or any of those other products. And, you know, your experience may vary. Um, I would say that their stomp box emulations are still slightly behind their competitors in fractal and helix. Uh, but I will say this much. Um, the OCD sounded better than the one in the helix, in my opinion. Now here's where it gets dicey. So skip back over to the Kemper drive. What they did, now they had, they already had a drive in there that was basically just a tube screamer, right? Um, they built another tube screamer with additional parameters. And you could dial it and you could make it more like a blues breaker, or you could make it more like a clon. There's some, some contouring options that can make it more like those other things. But at the end of the day, it's a really, it's an updated version of their existing tube screamer with additional features. And in my opinion, that was not what people wanted. We wanted a, for lack of a better term, an IR of a Tube Screamer. We wanted an IR of a Clon. We wanted an IR of a King of Tone. We wanted an IR of you know, the basic the basic drive staples. Um, and they just didn't deliver. And I like I understand why they can't just make an IR because it's you can't emulate the EQ controls and your activity and all that stuff. But it just felt like a miss. It was like, here, you've been waiting for this for like three years. I mean, people have been waiting for it for a lot longer than that. And when I bought in, people were waiting for it. And I had the Kemper for two years, roughly. I, I mean, I'll have I will have had it two years in June, I think. Yeah. I'm, I'm approaching that now. Um, and I'm getting the realization that they underdelivered. And I know people are like. 
there are people in the community that are like really latched onto this and they're like, yeah, camper drive. No, it's really good. It's much better. It's a tool of convenience and it, and it does everything it needs to do. Um, I disagree wholeheartedly. If you take a clean profile and you drive it with the camper drive, it sounds like trash. Um, it's meant to be a booster for a dirty profile. I mean, that's, that's really what it is. And, or a semi dirty profile, like on the edge of breakup. And I, I, I guarantee you there will be a few people that write me and give me hate mail. I just, I didn't like it. I didn't think it was that great. Um, now I was able to get my King of Tone, you know, and like create a preset that sounded like my King of Tone settings, but it was just, um, there was some magic missing there. Like the, the low end was slightly different. And again, harmonics were different. Um, the crystal lattice was not there. No, I'm kidding. Um, it's just, it was not, it was not what I expected. Um, and, and actually it was, that wasn't like, didn't leave a bitter taste in my mouth. That wasn't like the straw that broke the camel's back or anything, but it was like, I'm already going through these feelings of doubt that happens. And I'm kind of like, I'm just kind of over it. Now here's the fun part, right? So I'm selling my camper. I'm selling it in the, in the bag that I bought the nice bag, um, which I bought like right at the beginning of COVID and, um, I'm selling it with the additional cables that somebody would need, like in a, including two extra ethernet cables for the remote. Um, to either con cables as well with the remote. Um, and I'm hoping to get 2400 for it. And I really want to do a local deal because I really don't want to have to ship this thing, especially not during COVID. It's just one more pain in the butt I don't need. Um, and I put all this pretty package together and like I haven't had a whole lot of activity. Nobody's really even looking at it. And I realized something. Um, there's a fatal flaw in their marketing. They're calling the profiler just the regular old profiler with no power amp, an amp. And so when I say I have the powered Kemper, you think that Reverb search listings would pull it up. No. It, it's like a disaster over there. I don't know why Christoph Kemper marketed the original one as an amp. It is a preamp at best and a modeler at worst. Um, if you want to call it that, I, I still think that that's a great product. I'm, I'm keeping my profiles, which um, I believe in software licensing rules and restrictions. So there will be no commercial profiles on my Kemper when it goes out of here. Yep. Uh, I will restore it to factory stock. And um, I'm going to keep my profiles because I'm hoping that at some point they have either a, um, what do they call it? Um, a plugin yep. or a, another product, maybe a smaller form factor, more portable without the effects um, that you could buy to put at the end of your pedal board. And yeah, I'm surprised they haven't really cool tool. I am surprised they haven't done that because to be honest with you, it seems like that's really the marketing of that thing is, Hey, we've emulated your amp and your, and your speakers. Okay. I just want, can you imagine if they could get a, get that into something like the stomp and then, um, the rest of your board, just like everybody else that uses the stop, they put the stop, and then the rest of their board is, uh, well, a lot of people, they use uh, regular old um, pedals in front of it, if they want pedals. If not, do you know, use the stop, just the stop. Do you know how jealous I am when I go to an open mic, like back when the world was working, right? Yeah. Um, how jealous I was when I'd go to an open mic. I'm like, here I'd reel in my big gator case, which is still sitting behind me. I'm keeping that because I'm actually going to get new foam for it. I don't know what I'm going to put in it yet, but, but right. it's too cool a case to get rid of. Right. Um, I might even put a pedal board in it or something. 
Um, but I got the gator case, right? And I'd wheel this thing in. And then, like, the other guy would show up for the open mic, the other guitar player or whatever. And he'd come in and he'd have, like, he'd just have an amp, plop it on the stage, plug in, turn on, and they stick a mic in front of it. And I'm like, that's freaking easy. Like, what the hell? I got a remote I have to hook up, the Kemper itself. I got an XLR cable that, that's got to go to front of house. Um, I got to explain to them that they don't need a direct box. Like, I mean, it's it's a nightmare. Like, I actually think that it's the worst thought out device for playing live because I don't think the Kemper was ever intended for playing live. I think the Kemper was originally a studio design. And then they like, they went with it when people were like, oh, well, you know, you can, you can put a power amp with it. Well, of course you can put a power amp with it. Um, you can put a power amp with anything that puts out sound. Yeah. And then people were using it live and they were like, oh, we're going to include a power amp now. And it just, it just spiraled like and, and escalated. Right. So now it's this live product that has this bastardized system of, a, uh, you know, a foot controller um, in, a, in a form factor that doesn't fit in a rack unless you buy the rack-specific version for it. Uh, it, it. Honestly, this tool should have been looking at the Axe Effects when they, when they launched because the Axe Effects was already out, and they should have been like, we need a rack form factor. We don't need anything else. Oh, um, well, yeah. I mean, they've, they've done it right with the stage. I mean, that's, you know... That's a lot better. And how long did it take him to get there? Seven oh, yeah. years. years. Yeah. Seven years. Um, so, I actually thought about just dumping mine and getting a stage. Yeah. Um, I thought about it really long and hard, but I was like, it's, it would be it would be worthless for me to do that. I, I would I would pick up a used stage for maybe fifteen hundred, and I would drop. I would sell mine for twenty four. Um, I mean, after reverb fees, which are. Well, that's the next topic here. Um, it would just be absurd. So we've we've covered the reverb V hike. Yeah. And um Well you're you're you experiencing it firsthand now. Yeah, you didn't you haven't sold anything on reverb in a while. Never. Um never, never sold never. anything yeah, right. on reverb. I, that's the way. Right. So I don't think I bought anything on reverb either. I have forty nine sales, I think, on reverb, something like that. Like I've got I've got an extensive history with reverb, let me tell you. Um and I've actually never had a bad sale. I've never had come, somebody come back to me and be like, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. Um, and certainly never had one we couldn't work, work out, right? Um, so I've, I've had good luck with it, and I'm, I'm kind of cool over there. But um, I looked at my seller's fees because they have a little sidebar that actually tells you, like, this is what this is going to cost when you sell it at this price, or mm -hmm. at least how to calculate it, right? And I'm, like, looking at it, and I'm going – I'm going to spend like $200 to sell a $2,000 item. That's freaking nuts. Like the, it's just ridiculous. Um, and I don't really feel like that's a service that should be that way. Um, now granted, I know eBay has always had exorbitant fees and, um, when you use an online service, you're going to pay, right? Like you're going to pay through the nose. Um, but I'm like, I'm at the point where I'm like, I hate Facebook. I've been off Facebook. If you haven't seen me on Facebook, you know why now. Um, I'm like, I might go put it in Facebook Marketplace. I think I might, like, at least the fees won't be 5% plus 2% for processing. That's crazy. That's yeah. almost 10% of my sale. What is Reverb selling my product for me? Because last time I checked, I fill in my details. I take my own photographs, and then I put my listing on social media wherever I can so I can get people to look at it. Because their search engine sucks for this product. 
Yeah, the the, uh, the fact of the matter is that it's difficult um, uh, to, uh, for me, all right, so if, in the days before trading, well, it still exists in some places, but in the days before trading stuff in, you had another option. You could consign it. Right, right. and I could do that. I, I have a local shop where I can consign, but and um, consignment, during COVID, that's a joke. <laughs> yeah, well, consignment fees were upwards of 20%. I mean, that's a high, that was considered a high consignment fee. There were some that were lower, but 20% was, was about where you would be. So if you looked at it that way, you would have lost... Four hundred dollars um, on a two thousand dollar item. Um, so I I would guess that if I were to consign my Kemper, I could probably get twenty five hundred bucks for it. Well, yeah, if you consigned it, you would go twenty five hundred bucks. The problem is, what what are you going to take home? And of course, I know you have a you have a more personal um, bond with the consignee that you're talking about. Consigner. I, I, I will. Well, no, I know. I'm, I'm just I'm just saying like. At some point, if the fees are low enough, it makes more sense to consign. Right. Um, and I don't think Reverb is actually com- competing with consigners. I think consigners is almost like the dinosaur at this point. Right. Um, so. Right. And and that's part of the problem is that – so consignments are tough. Obviously, it, selling it at a shop, I don't care. Guitar Center, mom and pop, I don't give a crap. Yeah, Nobody's whatever. going to give you – no, right. you're going to get you 50%, you know, right. or, or if you're, if you're, if you're really lucky, you might get 60%. Um, exactly. So, well, and, and at, of course, you know, we talked about this before every guitar center does things differently. Our guitar center, we, we try to give 60% and, and a full, if your item is decent at 60%, but still 60% is giving up 40% of it. Let's face it. That's not a great deal. Um, no. We, you and I talked about Facebook Marketplace. Facebook Marketplace has a thing you can directly pay now right through Facebook. Um, you message each other because that's how the that's how the deal is done anyway. And then you can just, boop, I entered in the amount of money. And yeah. they, you get the money, and then Facebook says, you have the money. And it goes into your account, and you hand over the item that fast. Um Matter of fact, when I got my dog, the woman said, "Do you want to use Facebook?" I said, "I don't want Mark Zuckerberg having anything to do with my my checking account." But you know, but anyway, that that's just me, and that's just me being weird. Um, so I use PayPal, but that's beside the point. <clears throat> the fact is that it's there. Um, the the um, <sighs> you know, it, it's really hard when we buy gear. I don't care what gear it is, and I don't care how you do it. When I bought this thing. That guy never had to give up a penny, right? He, right. He made the sale. I gave him money. He gave me an item, and that was it. And right now, that thing's worth double the money. So yeah, I yeah. can't complain. It's yeah. literally worth double the money right now on on uh, everywhere, um, in the shape that it's in. So and, it, and it's in excellent shape, by the way. So um, anyway, uh, my point is that that. There's this, it's really hard. We're, we're always, I, I always wonder about these people who flip stuff. If, and not just in the guitar community. I mean, I see it everywhere, comic books and, and Funko Pops and all kinds of things. And I'm thinking to myself, what the, how do you tie up? Because it, it seems like your money is always tied up in the next thing. You're getting ready to flip, you know? Um, 
Yeah, they they have to get insane deals in order to make that a, a lucrative thing. Yeah, and there are there are podcasts about to it. Um, but but and 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 actually, if you listen to them, like they'll tell you like the deal has to be this, and it's crazy low. Um, but I know that there are also guitar podcasts and stuff where people have talked about flipping gear. Yep. And when I hear them talk about how they structure their deals, I just laugh. I'm like, you guys aren't making anything. Yeah, You're making peanuts. No. If that, if that. Oh, I watch, um, you know, I watch American flippers or American pickers, pickers. And yeah. I think I'm like, they go, yeah, we would do this and we would get this much. I'm like, you didn't even talk about how much it costed gas to get out there or food when you're anywhere. You didn't talk about any of that stuff. And I know it's because um, A&E is flipping a bill, but that's beside the point. Um, anyway, the uh, um, what I was getting at is this. If you're, if you're flipping gear, right, um, you got to make... You, everybody wonders how, why is it that, you know, stores charge so much? It's because a lot of your money is in assets. I mean, right. it's, it's in physical assets. Um, you're sitting there on a piece of equipment. Let's say I buy uh, this guitar, right? Let's say it was the 60% thing. So 60%, it's easy to do. It's $1,600, right? Or... Uh, no, 60% of uh, 2000 is uh, 1200 right? $1,200. Yeah, I got $1,200. Yay, I can make $800 on it. But now how long has it got to hang there? And I got to pay taxes right. to, to the state because I've got an asset hanging on my wall. And and that, that asset, if it doesn't sell, is costing you money because you could put an asset in its place that will sell. That's right. So, so that's... Every hanger yeah. is worth money. And so... Right. The fact is that, that those are costs we have to think about, right? Um, I, I I just find it... I, I was watching um, Music is Wind's channel, and he went into Guitar Center, and he got himself a Sir, a Sir, Sir is how you say it, right? Yeah. Got himself yeah. a Sir, um, Telly-style Sir. Really nice guitar. I mean, I'm not, right, right. Yeah, they're, they're well thought of, and oh, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Beautiful, fine. gorgeous how, guitar. How many pedals did he trade to get a I Sir? I don't know, but all I know is he did it at Guitar Center and he got two thousand seven hundred dollars in trade. That's... It was a used sir, right? They don't sir's not a dealer at Guitar yeah, Center. Yeah, yeah, it was. It had to be. It had to be you. Well, I don't know. I, you know, I'm it, wondering I, if they are because they're twenty seven hundred dollars new, and if they're selling that guitar twenty seven hundred used, and he went in and traded a bunch of crap for it, that's no, ridiculous. He, no, no, he he tw- he paid twenty two, so it had to be used. I think it yeah, was I think a, twenty two and oh, change. Okay. But the, yeah, but he was looking at a twenty seven thirty four hundred depending on options. So. Yeah, he was looking at a much more expensive Fender compared to the Sir, and he was kind of doing that. Um, and it was a Fender Custom Shop Telly versus the Sir, right? And he right. went with the Sir. There was that part of the drama of the whole thing. I don't care. Yeah, I, well, he I, got the cool points for getting the Sir, right? I mean, that's got, basically yeah. what's going on there. Yeah, really. I mean, I, yeah, and it's cool, and it's like it's a really nice guitar, and I can't, you know, I can't knock the deal he got, but I'm just thinking to bring in $2,700 worth of guitar of pedals. If you think about that, that's 60% of something. So he had like $5,000 close to $5,000. It's in the 47, $4,600 range of pedals, right? That he brought yeah. in to, to sell. That's a load of pedals, right? That's a buttload of pedals. You, I can't even imagine Four thousand something dollars worth of pedals sitting around here, and yet those were things he was like 
um, you know, I'm going to sell, I'm going to get rid of something. And they had to be a lot of pedals that people, that, that vendors send these podcasters. Yeah. Well, I laugh because you're staying like $4,000 worth of pedals. I know I at one point had $4,000 worth of pedals. Oh, yeah, no, I'm, so, I'm just saying it's close to $5,000 worth of pedals and he got rid of them. Yeah. <clears throat> and just I'm thinking. Talk about the window. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you didn't get rid of all of them, did you? I got rid of, I got rid of stuff I shouldn't have. You did because you got that. You got that. Uh, um, that, that ethos overdrive came back to me. It's Helix. actually sitting right next to me because that has been my primary amp for like the last three weeks. You know, I so I don't know if you can see. Yeah, you can see it's plugged in. I have the V and I plugged it in because I was like, you know, I, I look at these these um, things. I mean, right now, it's it, it, I can make a lot of money on that thing. So I'm sitting there going. Yeah, you're doing the same thing I've done in the past where you're like, you're looking at a piece of gear and you're going, do I like it as much as it's worth? I could flip this and turn it into two really nice guitars and or one really, really nice guitar, right? So I'm like, I got to hang on to it. Um, you know, and I'm thinking I get my grandkids, boy, I think. Um, I don't even have grandkids yet, but when they exist and when they get older. But anyway... So I've been playing it because all these all these channels, you know, they're. Um, uh, I, I always wonder how Trogly makes money, and I think I know now. Trogly has a lot of um, fans who send stuff in, and what they do is they have him take their stuff apart and do. Which I guess there's some value to it. I don't know what the value is. I don't want somebody else to. I can take my guitar apart, take pictures of it, put it back together. I don't need some some weirdo doing it. I don't need to, to, you know, I'm not saying Charlie's a weirdo. That's not, that's not what I mean. There's somebody that I, I don't know. know. I mean, no, I just need that. I don't know. Somebody that, that, you know, who the hell is that? I don't know. I don't know. But Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to send my guitar halfway across the country and I'm going to let him charge me $150 to take pictures and do a video and then pack it back up, send it out to me, which he's very good at, by the way, that, that guy is meticulous yeah. at that stuff. I'm not saying he's not good at it. I'm not saying he's not good at, at the um, the whole overall geez. He takes weights and he does like I'm thinking, man, I, I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's another guy though. He he gets um, like uh, these really rare finds, you know, these uh, these um, Guitar Center and Sweetwater and everybody else's yeah. stuff, and they and they come in and he gets on the list and he. He'll shell out eight ten thousand dollars, but he'll flip that bad boy right over. And like those Tom, we talked about this. We haven't talked about it on the podcast yet. No, we we should talk about it. So I guess the it's a good time. Let's so, think of the latest thing. Yeah. So okay, recently he he got two of these. He got the um, uh, the VOS model and the actual signature model. So there's there's um, whatever you call it, the, the super custom shop model, which. Um, so t Adam Jones is Adam Jones. Yeah, I believe it's Adam Jones. Okay, um, from the guy Tool. from Tool, right? right? The the Tool guy. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, Tim Allen um, signature guitars, right? And uh, so Tim Allen puts out a nineteen. I keep saying Tim Allen now. Uh, Adam Jones puts out this nineteen seventy nine Les Paul Custom, which really bites because that's the year my Les Paul Custom was. I have many things that I want to talk about with this story. But let me, yeah. But yes. So I want to, I want to, yeah, let, I'll just roll through the part fast and you can pick it up. So, um, get there, uh, uh, Gibson puts out 
two models. One's like $12,000, it's an almost exact replica. It's got all the right scratches and dents and dings and whatever it is that you guys want to pay too much money for. I don't, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put you down for it. I just think it's a waste of cash, but hey, it's your cash. Do what you want hey, to it. Throw right? it like, throw it away. Yeah, like, throw it in the wind and light it on fire. It's my money. Yeah, don't, don't, don't care. care about what I exactly. Do. And and I honestly <laughs> don't care. I, I honestly don't get it. You get a lot of people. Wow, you could you could buy a lot of uh, you could buy. Why didn't you just profile the amps you want to buy? Why didn't like, you just buy a Firefly or twenty of Because I didn't want a freaking Firefly. I wanted Dan of Jones's freaking. That's exact another amp. one that that kills me. We'll talk you know, about that too. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, anyway, so they they do their thing, right? They get the and there's this. So they ship, right? They ship to the to the retailers, and the and the retailers get the um the. Um, amplifiers, or I mean the guitars. You said amplifiers a second ago. And they, and the guitars. Well, <clears throat> Sweetwater's trucks coming along, poop a doop a doo, going through Fort Wayne, Indiana, doo 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 doo, and it stops to get gas or some shit by the way, right? <clears throat> and oh my, I'm a trucker. I must leave the back end open while I, oh, I hope no one looks in there and steals a specific pallet because that's what happened. Yeah. Somebody yeah, stole they took the a specific pallet. And stole all of them. Pallet that all of Sweetwater's $90,000 worth of guitars. One pallet, one lift, one shot. Gone. Unsaleable on the aftermarket. <laughs> I, what? I can understand. And, oh, get in there. Whoosh, take one. Woo, I yeah. One. But you took them all? Really? What did you think you were going to get out of this? I got, yeah, so so obviously Gibson's retaliation for this is we're going to do the same run form again, and we're going to make them different so that we know the the real ones from the from the ones that were stolen, so that we can prosecute the people who stole. Them. So now the funny point thing is, so now they're admitting they're going to make a second run. These guitars yeah. are going to show up somewhere at some point. Oh, they are. Um, because these, these are these are very unique. Um, and when that happens, then it's like this is just dumb because now you now you've made your double run, right? And they well, have to because they have to make good. For, they have to make good for the customers, right? Um, well, for the for the sweet for the numbers that the, yeah yeah right. And ninety thousand dollars. That's a, it, at ten. You think that's a lot, right? But remember, those were um, I think six or eight thousand dollars for the cheap one. Yeah, the six thousand dollars for the number one and twelve. All the roadware is like twelve thousand or something. Yeah, twelve thousand um, for the, the other one. So that's not a lot of guitars. That's like ten guitars, maybe total, or twelve guitars. All right. So the thievery thing of this is just dumb. Yeah. And we, I think we've covered that well enough already. Yeah. But here's here's what 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 just really chaps my ass about this whole thing. Okay. Dude, this is a nineteen seventy nine Silver Bar Les Paul custom. You know. A six thousand dollars seventy nine Silverburst Les Paul custom. I could go buy a seventy nine Les Paul custom right now. It may not be a Silverburst because I don't think that was a thing. I think that's like a unique thing. Um, I could go buy one right now. What are you doing? <laughs> Get out of here! <laughs> no, we're, we're being photo bombed. I got to deal with this. Deal like what are you dancer? doing here? <laughs> here <laughs> she's your solid something she's your solid cold dancer let me write the time down yeah i mean you can leave it in i don't care but i'm just like <laughs> what are you doing out here <laughs> yeah, i'm podcasting we're in the middle of an episode 
<laughs> no, I don't want to hear it. Oh, that's funny. Come in. Oh um, my god. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so. 1979 Silver Burst Les Paul Custom. Yep. You can get a Les Paul Custom for $6,000. That's right. It, it is 79. And nothing I mean, was... I'm not saying that 79 was a bad year. I'm not saying it's a good year. I'm just saying... It's not desirable. Right! Exactly! It's This is not... This is not like a 54 Strat. It's right. not a 59 Les Paul. It's not, it's not a desirable year, folks. Um, it's not a, a you know mid sixties SG. It's not like this is just here. I play a seventy nine, so obviously everybody must want the same seventy nine I have. I just I it kills me that like oh yeah the Norlin era. Everybody's like the Norlin era, the Norlin era, and now and now it's like here we're gonna reissue a guitar for the Norlin era. What the hell? What is wrong with people? So so now the silver bursts, which used to be you could have picked up. When you when you and I started this podcast, you could have picked up a seventy nine silver burst for like six or, or, or like three thousand dollars, thirty two hundred. Yeah. Okay, because that was actually the I cheap knew people one. had them. Now all of a sudden, silver bursts are eight thousand dollars to ten thousand dollars on the market. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it, like I get it. So Adam Jones is a he's not my guy, but he's he's an influential guitar player amongst a lot of people. Um. But I wouldn't consider him a guitar player's guitar player, yeah, right? Like, unless you're really into progressive music or something, like maybe you go down the tool path. But for the most, for most people, I would think that like they would kind of look at this and go, seriously, an Adam Jones reissue, like an Adam Jones <clears throat> specific guitar, like there's a market for that at twelve thousand dollars. Um, I, I I assume there are tool collectors that will buy this and just hang it on their wall. I, I assume there are probably some guitar players that are big fans of tool that will buy this and well, probably play it or, so, and or hang it on the wall. So there was a guy they, they interviewed on another podcast. They interviewed a guy who was one of the ones who one was stolen from Sweetwater and then they, and they're, they're making him a new one. He's in a sure. tool. This makes sense. He's in a tool yeah. cover band. He, right. He, he literally plays Tool songs. His band is, I don't know. Can we, meet, can we talk a, it's, for it's, a minute? Um, meet Me Out Back or Pay Me Out Back or something like that. It, I yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> just making sure. Um, I don't know what the name of the band was. I I'm just saying, think... Here's what's funny. On, on Reverb, you can get, okay, a 79 Les Paul Custom for four grand, Okay. There's one on here that was a made in Japan. I don't know how the hell that's that's real, but um, for eleven hundred, I I don't think that's real. But no, I don't um, think that's legit. But thirty five hundred bucks for a seventy nine um, custom that a black one like I had when I was a kid. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But the second you hit, there's actually a really nice natural blonde for forty five hundred. But the second you hit that. A black beauty with three pickups for forty nine hundred dollars, but the second you hit the one that, that that's that price, eighty seven hundred dollars, the cheapest one. I guess there's one that's seventy five. As soon as people realize how shit that guitar is, they're gonna go, oh crap! You know what? Uh, why did I spend that much money on it? Cause I, cause I'm a Tom Jones fan or an Adam Jones fan or whatever. I, seriously, 
I mean, do you think a Tom Jones fan is going to buy that? Tom Jones might not buy one. Unusual. He's not unusual. That's going to be hilarious. Yeah. Yep. I think that might be the episode title. <laughs> it's not. Yep. There we go. That's the like title. It's balls. not unusual. <laughs> um, um, yeah, go ahead. I, I just, this, this is like, this is about par for the course. So like I, I've had my hands on some Nora Norland era Gibson's recently, yeah. actually. Okay. Um, and I don't think they're as bad a guitar as people have made them out to be. Um, they're not six thousand dollars good. Yeah, but they're not six thousand dollars good. No. Oh yeah, no. Like an SG made out of walnut that's like like forty pounds. Like yeah, no, for sure. Like there are definitely design problems in there and stuff. And like we know they were using sandwich bodies and stuff. But yep. if you find the right one, like and and I have a feeling there are more right ones than there are wrong ones. But I have a feeling there's a lot of wrong <laughs> ones. Um, and so it's kind of like I I just reissuing something that in my mind is not a classic. I don't no. consider anything that happened in the Norland era to really be classic here's, per se. Here's what um, kills me. So that particular guitar, I can understand that the Jimmy page one they did, which by the way, this was quite a few years ago, but they did the Jimmy page one that was 12 grand and they were, right. they were on the market the next day for like 20 grand or something. But yeah, but, but that's that's like that's a guy that's identified with right. the ball. That that's exactly. Or um, uh, when they did uh, the access, um, uh, Alex Lifeson one. That's another one he was identified with. Um, but to to have um, this just almost sounds like a joke. I mean, I, and excuse me, guys. If, you, if the tool fans maybe they could they could chime in and say, hey guys, this guy really is. I listened to um, Gibson put up a song that, that I guess the guy from Tool wrote for the, the release of the guitar, and they have it up on Gibson's site. It's like this seven-minute wash of, to me, it sounds like it, they took, the, like they went to a praise and worship thing, took the board, and then just muted all the other channels and just had the guitar. It was just... Dull. I mean, to me, it was dull. It was boring. I mean, I, I grew up with Tool music around me. Yeah. So, like, for me, being somebody that's got Tool records in my collection and has sort of been like an off the cuff fan at times, I do not. When I think Adam Jones, I do not think innovative electric guitar player. I think a guy that's like kind of. artistically visionary like i'm going to lay out music and then we're going to perform it not so much like hey look at me i'm um i'm gonna play you know something that reinvigorates people's desire to play the instrument or and and listen i know there are people that like tool is the band for them and they're gonna and they will buy this yeah but i just don't like this seems like the most illogical choice to me for like, oh, I could we could get another Jimmy Jimmy Page model, or we could do you know, uh, and, well, they, and they did this. Yeah, but here's here's the bigger part. I get it. If you're a big Tool fan and you want this one because it's it's an exact replica or it's a VOS of what he did, I get it. But why would you go buy a one that is just one of the stock ones that came out in '79? Because it's admitted a million times. That the 70s models, there was no consistency. It was just, 
Here's a sandwich body. Most, a lot of them. That's why the customs were black. Because yeah. they didn't want you to know what the wood looked like. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I would love to know what their spec for building this guitar was. Because I'm willing to bet their custom shop equivalent of his special guitar is probably built to a higher quality standard than the Norland era one was. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They they announced this guitar, jeez, a long time ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. But but that's like, um, do you think this one ha- has a pancake body? No. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't. No. Um, they're not going to make... They, and that's the thing. It's not his guitar, and it's not got his like, DNA right, or... Right. Any, it's, I don't know. I, I just... That's, well, that's my point, though. So, like, this is just kind of silliness. Like... I, I, I get it, like having all the electronics, the period correct, the look, yep. especially for a cover band. But yep. that's not six thousand dollars, folks. You want the look of the guitar? It's this is not the six thousand dollar one here is not road worn. Okay, <coughs> right? It, but, it's my understanding that it's but, just a bone stock like seventy nine with the removed cover and the pickups that match. Yep. Um, but if you really wanted one, you could have gone out and bought one and not hiked the price of them. It's it's I don't know. I, I, is there really that much demand for them? I just, I don't know. I, I don't. And, and look, I was never a Tool fan. I couldn't name one Tool song if you if you um, had a gun to my head. Hey, hey, Jim, I got a question for you. Sure. Um, Are you looking at the Tool guitar right now? No, I can be. There's one, well, you don't have to, but there's one little glaring thing I just noticed. The neck pickup is backwards. Oh, I know. That was another thing that, uh... Why? I mean, if he did it on his, I get it. Okay, uh, but why? Let's see. That, that'll bug the hell out of me. I'm going to see this guitar in my dreams now with a reverse pickup. Like... Is it? Yes! The neck pickup is reversed. The screws go forward. Yeah, yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be. No, the screws to the no. neck. The screws are to the top of the neck, and the screws are to They're the. They're supposed of the to be on his on his 1979 Les Paul recreation. The picture I am seeing has the screws towards the bridge. Oh, on I the neck pickup. Oh God, I see that. That's just part of the design. But I'm the, like, is that? Hold on. I bet his. I oh, bet his, his is too. Uh, his is like that. I'll be damned. Which means he took the pickup out at some point and probably and just swung it around, threw it in there backwards and not realizing it, and just used it that way for years. Which is fine, and that's that's a quirk, right? Like that's something that's interesting. Yeah. Um, by the way, I do see that the body material is listed as solid mahogany. Yeah. Does that mean one piece of solid mahogany? Does it mean? Pancake. <laughs> um, damn. And there's uh, there's him and uh, uh, Cesar. Cesar uh, I don't remember his last name, but from Gibson uh, with the with the thing. I didn't. I did not notice that 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 neck pickup was in backwards because there's some pictures where they show like they were they were I guess uh, not very correct pictures uh, where the neck pickup is the right way. But yep, you're right. It's supposed to be the wrong way. It's supposed to be. You are correct. 
I'll be damned. I'll be <laughs> it's damned. just a weird quirk that I noticed. I'm like, uh, yeah, okay. Yep. I guess that. I guess that's the thing here. Um, I did not realize that. And the neck picture, neck, neck pickup says reverse mounted. It's just custom bucker. So yes. it's some weird thing that they've designed for this guitar specifically. The custom um, bucker. Yeah, I don't well, think I want a custom bucker. I, no. I have a guy that'll make me a custom bucker if I want it. I like my. Um, I honestly, and, and I and I kid sometimes, but I love I I love that guitar. So I don't I don't I don't care. I I just don't care. I I don't care who else plays one like these. I I just play it. But the but the um, the thing I I laugh about the most is that that not not people who are I look. Like I said, you do you do your thing, man. I mean, you've had people talking shit to you about selling your rig. I'm like, I have had people reach out of right reach out to me and say, "The hell are you doing?" I'm like, what do you, what do you care? Why do you care? I, I mean, I, that's the way I that's the way I handled it. It was like it's plastic, um, metal, and and wire. I I can sh- be. I can be diplomatic and I can explain like I'm selling it because it doesn't fit my needs anymore or like I have some different ideas about things I'm doing right now and it makes a difference. I have my reasons, right? Like that's basically the answer. I have my reasons. Um, And listen, um, this is the responsible thing for me to do. If you'd like me to be irresponsible, I can, I can keep the Kemper and I can spend money I don't have. Right, something else. Right, so like, like even the even the whole like personal responsibility element of this, it's just right out the effing window. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's just right out the window. Like, well, well, like I said, I, I, you know, I could sell, I could flip that for the custom I want. The the thing is, the I don't want to. I wouldn't do. I wouldn't do that, J- Jim. Even if you never get a custom. You will get a custom at some point. I'm, I'm, I'm I guarantee to. it. Yeah, but but even if you don't get a custom, like what you have right now is more unique. Yeah, and ain't very many people that have a V2. Let me tell you, let me tell I you would, something. I would hang on to it. There's yeah, the the um, uh, I've had people who are like fans. I mean, like super fans of guitar of it. They've seen that guitar when I bring it, you know, when I brought it to Guitar Center to get it fretted, yeah. when, I, when I brought it to get it set up. It's weird. It's kitschy. It's unique. They said, I mean, man, I have never seen And they're like, what's under those pickup rings? I go, <laughs> wouldn't you like to know? I'm going <laughs> to yeah. do a little, I, I need to do a little video where I pull the strings and show everybody what's under there. Cause that's, yeah, dude, like, I think, I think, I think any videos that you do of your, your uh, Gibsons will be hits. Yeah. Um, we had a video. I had no did. idea. We had a video that Jim did of that Joe Bonamassa Les Paul, and I was in the account, I was in the YouTube account because he posted the the episode, and I went in there and I looked and I went, "Holy crap!" We had like six thousand views or something, and we weren't even paying attention. I had we no didn't idea. even know it happened. We were like, "What? Okay, nope. no idea." Uh, not gonna complain. I mean, nope. it, it fits my uh, fits my mantra right there. Um, not gonna complain. No idea it happened. Uh, yeah, like. I realize, listen, I've had conversations with people behind the scenes of the show. I'm constantly pulled in a direction to cover this, cover that based on like this one person wants me to talk about X or Y. And I'm sorry if people think that this is like a 
a gear show because it's really not it's a guitar show right like we'll talk about theory and we've done that before right um i i know that people feel like they've been left in the lurch to some extent some people have like i know there's a lot of people who aren't even listening to the show right now because there's no commute right right and they got other things they're dealing with and i and i totally get it hey that's cool um but we try to cover a wide variety of stuff and topics on this show. Yeah. So when we talk about a six thousand dollar seventy nine Les Paul Custom VOS, Jim and I, Jim and I are not talking about it from the perspective of like, let's go buy this. No, like this no. should be the this should be like the big like big red flag for you guys to realize that we're a lot more practical than you might realize. Yeah. The the, the, the difference here when I have a conversation with somebody about you know like I'm selling something or whatever. First off, the only reason I posted it to my social media at all was because I want people to go to the listing and take a look at what I got to sell because maybe they'll be interested and I'd like it to go to a good home. I don't I don't like to sell crap that people are going to destroy it. That, right. that, that sucks. But but at the same time, like Jim has echoed multiple times, it's my money. Right. It's my item. And I get to decide whether I like it or keep it. And I'm not right. being a hypocrite. Like, I, I, I want to make this very clear because this is something that's also come up in conversations. Like, you're a hypocrite. You you had the Helix and you were talking about how good that was and then you sold that. Listen, we all go through these phases where we like and dislike things. And eventually you get enough dislikes on one side and it goes out the door. Well, that's, here's, I mean. Yeah, all right, we both owned a Helix, all right? And I, I owned mine a lot less long than you did, but. Yeah, it didn't take you that long to figure it out. <laughs> took me a few days. But the, I, I always, every time I see one, I go, if, is there something I'm missing? Is there something? Because there's so many people who love them. And I'm thinking to myself, I must be the wrong, wrong one because I, I can't get it. I don't get it. But here's the, here's the thing that I want to give, I want to say to everybody is this. Your gear is your gear because it's what you want and it's what you want to do. And, and remember that. So don't worry about, I spent too much or too little, or I, I, you, you should be proud of what you play. And there was a, there was a guy on, um, there's, I'm part of a Gibson owners forum. Oh, that's another place where they were, even a Gibson owners forum. They're like, whoa, you know, that thing is cool. Um, anyway, um, some people said, oh, that's not real. Uh, yes, it is. Um, (laughs) <clears throat> it's the second one I've owned in 40 years. It's definitely real. Um, well, 30-something years. Um, anyway, uh, the the thing that I'm trying to say here is this. that, that Take, you, you should love what you love because you love it. And you, we, we all need to respect each other. This is my kumbaya moment, I guess. We need to respect each other and each other's needs within the guitar community. I joke lightly about the people who want the Adam Jones guitar. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely I, a group of people I, who will make that thing work. Let me tell you something. If you if you can spend twelve thousand dollars on a guitar and you like this one guy have the guts to take it on stage every night, he even said he was like after after he. He was getting it in. He's like, oh, now I've got, that's the kind of guitar I got to take to the bathroom with me. Because, you know, he's not, if he's not yeah. Adam Jones. He can't, can't afford to have somebody stand there, you know, with a gun. And a, 
I don't know. Um, we, you hear, but you hear stuff like this all the time. I mean, Zach Wilde got his guitar stolen off the back of a truck. Um, yeah. Uh, Tom Petty got his guitar stolen. Um, who else did I hear famous that got a guitar stolen? Uh, <clears throat> that, uh, it, it was somebody, I think it was Frampton, was just talking. It was Frampton or somebody like that was talking about how they handed a guitar off to their tech. The tech put it on, um, I think, I'm just off stage. Put yeah. It on, and it disappeared. Mm-hmm. They said they're pretty sure they had somebody in the rigor department ready to steal it. And what happened was the rigor sent down um, a, a thing, and then somebody, you know, put it on, and they pulled it up, hoisted it up. Because it's the only way they got it past security was to rig yeah. it up and out. Yeah, and yeah. My point is, I don't know, like, I, I, I have said in jest and in reality, I'd love to buy a 59 BOS or, you know, 40s BOS. Yeah. Or, or you know, a, a really nice uh, custom you, shop Les Paul. But, or, but you want a, a copy of the legend, right? Like, right. You're not looking for... <clears throat> Some random like Norlin era thing, right? It just seems weird, right? I, I want that, you know, Sunburst fifty nine BOS. It's made from. I don't have three hundred fifty thousand dollars to spend on a real one, so you know. But do I really? And that's the thing I keep telling myself: Do I really? I mean, isn't this good enough? Does it need it, to have block inlays? Does it need to have you know? It, a lot of the so. That's you know, and that's a, that's a good a good thing to talk about because like, so I'm part of one of these conversations. Somebody said to me like, "Hey, doesn't your amp that you have already do this?" I actually got that from two different people, um, and it's like, define what this is. Right. Um, I kind of, I kind of like, I kind of get taken aback. A Mesa boogie does not sound like a plexi. No. Right. Like it's not. They're distinctly different. Um, a baseman does not sound like a deluxe reverb. No. They're distinctly different. Um, a Dr. Z Maz 18 does not sound like a Vox AC30, even though they share a lot of common car- parts. I mean, um, I think I'm looking for, and this is this is kind of what I've been telling people, is like, I want an heirloom. People ask me, like, well, do you just buy gear and flip it because you just, you know, like get bored or whatever? Is, no, that's not what's going on. I have lots of gear that I have purchased and had for a really long time. I have my Mark V 25. I've had that as long as I've been owning this condo, so it's at least five years now. Yep. I'm not in any way, shape, or form going to sell it. I almost sold it one time, and I learned my lesson because I walked away from that going, that would have been stupid. Um, my GNLS 500, which I've had longer than my Mark V now. I've had that as long as I've been employed at uh, ALA, and that means that I've had this guitar for seven years. I just had my seventh anniversary. Um, I have my white Strat that goes back to when I was in the band Lucid Vision when I was in high school. Yeah, like I mean, that, that guitar's not going anywhere. That was what? Yeah, that's over. That's like that's like a two thousand one. Yeah, and I got it. In, I got it in like oh four. Yeah. So um, it was hanging on the wall. Of that that of Marco music here in uh, in uh, Bloomingdale, Illinois, for like three years before anybody even thought about buying it, um, 
and I had um, I had an SRV strat that I had forever, and I eventually parted with that. There are definitely times where you fall in and out of love with things, but there are de- there are also things that I have that are not going to leave my possession over my dead body, and some right. of that is emotional attachment. I have two um, Pelotars. All right, so if you're not familiar with the Pelotar, it's kind of a joke pedal. It looks sort of like a Klon, but it's a it's like a big muff and a in a crazy Velcro fuzz inside the same unit with a blend knob for all the controls, basically. Yeah. Um, and I have two of them. I have one that I purchased, and then I got my name drawn out of a secret Santa, and I Leon from Pelican Noise Works, the guy that makes them, sent me that. And he sent me a special one, and it is black. It is the only black one. Yep. Um, and I'm and it says, not it says on either the inside of, of it. You, Dave. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I think it actually does have a special message to me inside. It does. Of it. I don't remember I, what it says. I was going to say he puts special messages inside. That's I was just joking with you. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I have had I have definitely had pedals that I've gotten and like that one was an attachment for me because there's a story attached to that. He dropped his laptop down a flight of stairs, smashed his laptop into smithereens, oh, and was just crap. generally having a terrible day. And so he's like, When I packed your your thing, he sent me a mug, a shirt, the pedal, and another pedal. And he's like, I just wanted to make sure somebody had a better day than I was having that day. And I'm like I sold the other pedal that was that I got because I, I used it for a while and I actually really liked it, but it led me to some other things. And so I but I kept the Pelotar, the black Pelotar, and I'm like, that's never leaving my possession. Um because it's it's just a there's a story attached to that. And it's really important to me that I remember that story and so that the item helps me do that. But there yeah. are definitely like the ethos. I sold that thing, I reached out to the guy and bought it back from him. Yeah. What does that tell you? There are definitely things that I have that I am attached to as a as a musician. And, like, I gravitate towards. Um, I'm looking for another amp that can do what that has done for me, which has given me something like a rock for me to stand on and judge other things by. Um, In terms of the show and, like, how that will be discussed. That doesn't mean that, look, I'm going to get a Dr. Z. Like, I'm probably going to get a Maz 18. I'm not even going to lie. If I get a Maz 18 and I don't like it, it's going to get sold. Yeah, like I'm not even. Much, you can sell it for what you gave for it. So it's right, right, gonna... right, right, right. So it's like, I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and lie to people and be like, when I buy this, it's going to stay in my possession forever. Right. Like even the Kemper. I, if you guys recall, when I bought the Kemper, I said two years. I needed two years out out of it. I almost got two years, and I was yeah, like, yeah. because I knew that it was a, a tool, and, a and I knew that at some point in the near future, there's going to be a new product, and I'm not going to lose my investment. Right. And I made it really clear to a lot of the people I was talking to, I can't, I can't keep risking that the new Kemper comes out and my value drops to the floor. I right. actually had, I had two people tell me, well, everything depreciates. If you've ever lost the kind of money I have on digital gear, you will never buy digital gear again. Yeah. I have gone down that path kicking and screaming out of convenience. That's the only reason I went there. I had a $1,200 amplifier with a $300 foot controller that was separate. When I sold it, I sold the amp for $180. Yeah. I went and I actually looked up what I sold it for before this episode. It was $180. That is 
what we call a wash, ladies and gentlemen. If you look at that and under the microscope, you'll realize that was a bad move. I should never have bought that. And I certainly shouldn't have held on to it to the point where it was worthless. Yes. Um, and the fact is, if you get married to a digital piece of gear, you'll have two things. happen. Number one, you can get another one easily. It'll be cheap, but you'll also lose all the money that you put out on it. Like, I can't tell you, like, I look at things, especially guitars, and I say, that's worth this, and that's worth this, and that's, I see the value of it flash in front of my eyes. Yep. And so it, it, it makes it very easy for me to make decision-making, or to make decisions about how so, important is it. <clears throat> this guy right here, they, so there, there's two of them right here that I honestly don't think I could let go of, because this is, this is my unicorn. I've had it for a year. I know I just got this, but I had, I spent a lot of years trying to get it back, and that's, you know, that's 40 years, you know, well, I'm 56, I'll be 57, so that's 30, almost 38 years that I sat waiting for that to come home, so to speak. The, the SG, the truth is that there's nothing, if you look at it, this is this is like that that Adam Jones thing. If you look at it, yeah. there's nothing special about it. It's right. a Batwing, Batwing SG standard. Yet every single person that's ever heard it or played it has said, "Man, that is a special SG." And and I can't, as much as I want to hear it, a cherry one. I'm not gonna let go. Of can it. I can I can I uh, can I share an insight about SGs real fast? Yeah, go ahead. So I had that I had that SG Batwing too. And people love that thing too. I think Gibson right now is making the best SGs they probably ever made. Yeah, that's they, all. I'm saying. Yeah, they these three guys are definitely staying. I've had this one for about two years. I've had this one for a year, and I've had this one for a few months. This one I've had for just over a year. Also, just a a, a really good guitar. Now, is it now is it irreplaceable? No. The the one thing about that Ultra. As beautiful and as well built and as nice as it is, every other ultra is probably just as good. There's, I wish I could say there was something special about you know the certain fenders. It's just not, not to me. I, I, I'm, I'm probably not hearing it. Um, I think it, I think it happens, but yeah. I think, I think with fenders to find one that's like truly special. It may be that what you would consider to be truly special isn't palatable to you. Like, I know people have been like, oh, yeah, this telly's so good. And it's like, I hear it, and I'm like, wow, that sounds like a damn razor blade. Yeah. And they're like, oh, they're like, they're like, no, but that's great because that's what you want to tell you to sound like. I'm like, okay. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> just like, okay, have fun. You know, yeah. like, um, not for me. Um, so I, I think it's to each their own on the, on that sort of thing. But I think, um, I th yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, this this precision, it's good. It's a precision. It's a made in Mexico precision. You know, my but my hummingbird, that rosewood hummingbird. I mean, it's not it's not a mahogany hummingbird. There's just something about it I like, and that they did in that couple of years. So it's another one that that if I ever let it go, it'd be like this thing. All of a sudden, I'd look back and go, ah, crap. You know, <laughs> I can never get it back. You know what I mean? So, yeah, the, you know, and my custom 24, that's, you know, it's replaceable. I hate to say that about a PRS, but it's an SA and it's replaceable. But the, but the point is that what I'd love to be able to do is when we have 10,000 subscribers, I, I want to point at this wall and see the same guitars with maybe one more. I'm trying, 
I'm trying to figure out if it's going to be an ES355 or if it's going to be a, um, a Tele, probably be an ES335. But um, I want to look at the used market, and I really want to look I'm, at something that, you know, has got some. I'm not really even into acquisitions at this point. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, you're talking about, like, oh, I want to add this or whatever. Or 335. Um, we know you. We know that some of the guitars in your wall will probably change between that now and that time period. But it probably won't be the B. It probably won't be the Les Paul because those are really unique instruments. They they came to you in a special way and they have like unique stories behind them. The SG maybe not because um, there's something special about it. Yeah. But like, I could see you getting a different Strat than the Strat Ultra. I could see you, mm-hmm. you know, like and 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 the, and the Custom Twenty Four going with you know something high. But, but back to what I was saying, I personally, I don't really need much more. I'm a Strat guy. Like, I've, I've, I've realized that there's really no reason for me to buy anything other than Strats. Um, I have two. I have three, actually. I have the Legacy, which is going to go out the door. I've been saying it for a year. I just haven't put the pickups back in it to sell it. Um, I have my S500, which is hanging on the wall next to me, and it's perpetually hanging on the wall next to me. And I don't even think I take the strap off of it anymore. Um, that, that guitar gets a lot of playtime these days. And, uh, I have that, that golden LGP 90, um, which was probably featured in last week's episode. Um, I, uh, I don't really, like, I know there's one more waiting and I, and I'll kind of reveal like what I'm looking at and maybe show listeners can share their thoughts on it in the group or whatever. But, um, I'm looking at a warm off strat with all the comfort contours and crap. I want it. No pit guard. It's going to have a humbucker and uh, probably single single. Um, and what I do with it is I want to put a conversion neck on it. So I want it 24 and three quarter inch scale. Um, the body's probably going to be alder, ash, whatever's light, you know, whatever I can get this light. Maybe I might go mahogany. It depends. Um, and then what I want to actually do with it is I'm going to send it to MJT and I'm going to have them paisley it. And it's going to be like, I, I'm not going to say what I'm going to do color scheme wise for the Paisley. Like I already know what I'm going to do, but I don't want to reveal it. Cause I know other people are probably like, Oh yeah, that sounds really cool. I want to do that too. Yeah. No. Um, and quite frankly, like if you want to do that, just wait till the guitar's done, then go do it all. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, really, I really don't care. Um, but I just, uh, I think yeah. it'll be unique when I get it and that'll be kind of cool. Right. Um, I want to, I'm probably going to get it light relic, like very light. Cause I want to put most of the wear into to myself. Um, I don't mind having it look a little old when I get it. I don't really like, I don't want comfort wear. Cause I think if you wear in the comfort, that's better too. Um, but I'm just like, I'm kind of over this whole idea of like looking for my own super strat or whatever. I'm just going to build one. Like I'm going to build one that has all the shit I want on it. Yeah. And just be done with it. Like you know, one more guitar. This is the one that that's you know going to be played probably in every gig for the next three years or five years. Yeah. Um, and you go back and forth between it and my S five hundred. That should be great. You, you know? know, like I think it was well two or three years ago. You and I talked about that. We did uh, we did kind of custom builds and warm up. And the truth of the matter is, and this is the, this is the thing I'm surprised, and I know why most people don't do it. Okay, I I think I know why, but. If you're going to do a guitar that you're going to keep, and the intention is that you're going to hang on to it, you'll get more from bang for your buck from a warm-up build. Sure. Or Music Craft or any of the other, like, aftermarket, the quality aftermarket parts coming. Right, right. 
And it, yeah, yeah, that that was the other one. I I, I don't want to. What is that one that does cheap Mighty Might or something like that? That does the uh, yeah, Mighty Might makes good stuff too. Yeah. Um, and and I, they've gotten better. So like they yeah. were, there was a time period when they were kind of a joke, but um, but like if you were to go and, and even like GFS, if you're okay with weird woods and stuff, like GFS does good stuff. Yeah. But going to like um, going to a company. Well, not a company, but like on eBay and buying like random Chinese strat neck A, uh, it's probably not going to be gr- a, a good idea. Yeah, um, I mean, I'd love I've, to get. I've heard horror stories. Yeah, I'd love to get an unfinished, just like you're talking about, an unfinished guitar from somebody like that, and then get uh, someone who is artistic to do the artwork, and then and then get someone who is a guitar builder to put it together for me. Um, I don't even care if they do a photo finish. Like, to be honest with you, for Paisley, it's usually a fabric, and then they spray yep. over it and stuff. Yep. I don't want fabric on it. Just just do it as a photo finish. Like, because cause the thinner, the better. You're going to nitro the crap out of it anyway. Yep. So I would much rather have it, like, thin skin and just let me wear it out. Um, but I, but I, I want to do it in a unique fashion. Yep. Um, and I don't I... – yeah. I would literally have it look like grandma's sh- shades, so to speak. I mean, I, I would literally want it to be the most ugly, um, uh, grotesque-looking thing that you could ever see because because that's what makes them really kind of special, you know. Um, I had a I had a um, I had a guitar that was really inexpensive that I I asked somebody to do a a South Park thing too, and I, that's kind of what I would want for like this this guy, right? Because it's it, it's an inexpensive. It kind of fit, it kind of fits that. Yeah, put put me, you know, as a South Park character up on the butt, you know, of the guitar. Oh, wow, that's vain. He gonna put himself on there. Listen, this. Well, crap. no, I I had a little South Park character with me playing bass, and I kind of thought it was cool. Um, that's the kind of thing that that it then becomes yours, and it becomes special. Um, you know, so I I thought about it. Um, as a matter of fact, that's probably the perfect instrument to do it to. Why not? Why, why go buy something? Just yeah. Have yeah. The, the, the problem is you went out of base and leave it back. Um, well, that's uh, <clears throat> listen, I, I know that challenge. Like I'm looking at Dr. Z's and I want to buy used cause I don't want to, I don't want to potentially lose money on it yeah. like, as much as I want to support the company. Like I don't know enough about their product to go and buy one new. Right. So I'm kind of like, at least I won't lose depreciation if I buy used. Right. So I'm looking at one use, and I'm like, I'm gonna have to send this thing to them to get it modded, so it can get so it can get updated to yep. current spec. Right. And I'm like, I'm like, that sucks because it because I'm gonna be without <laughs> an amp for like two weeks or three weeks while they're doing the mod. You know, um, that sucks. Yeah. Not crazy. only that, you gotta you gotta pay to ship it too, which is not fun. Yep. But um, yep. this this warm off thing I'm talking about doing it would be like a labor of love. I don't mind sending a body to somebody to have them finish right, it. Right. Right. And and that's the thing. Um, you can buy the body. You don't have to buy the neck right now. You can buy the body. Right. And have it shipped off. Get the and you're paying for it a little bit at a time, and and it's not all gone. And you get the body back, and you're like, oh, this this looks really nice. And now now you get somebody to throw the parts together, or you do it. I mean, I would probably do it myself. Um, hey, I you know it just occurred to me. I completely forgot to talk about something tonight. Yeah, what's that? So I'm selling the Kemper. You know what made that possible, right? I bought a Captor X. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. You it, it, it hasn't X. it hasn't arrived yet, but I have played with one already, and I want to report to the show listeners what the Captor X is like. Um, 
the Captor X, like the headphone out on it was like listening to my Kemper, right? Yeah. It was like my amplifier into an IR right into my head. And um, the cool part about it, and there's a lot of things I didn't know. So it has reverb and stuff in it. You can actually like set a room. And I, my understanding is you can set like room A, studio room A or studio room B. And so it has like some basically some IRs of some some probably well-known studios right. um, where a lot of records are getting cut. And you can also adjust the ambience. You can take um, – so if you get one of their cabinets, so like you put it in there and you have the option to adjust mo- microphone position and depth and all of those different parameters. And yeah. the cool thing about it was like I was thinking, oh, you'll have to hook up the computer because I'm so used to the Kemper and the way that it works. Like you got to hook it up to the computer. You got to hook, you can do everything for the front of the Kemper, but if you really want to deep dive and you want to back up profiles and all that stuff, you got to hook it up to the computer. And, um, what I was really surprised about with the, um, what I was really surprised about with the, uh, the Captor Access is Bluetooth. So you can have the app on your phone and just be sitting there dialing presets. So I tried, I tried, um, show listener Jeff Biazidecki's, um, we were, we were, uh, messing around with my Mark V and the Kemper, and uh, actually it wasn't my Mark V; it was their Mark V and, and the Kemper, and we were we actually profiled one using the the Captor X, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were kind of playing around with it, and I realized he was changing settings. And I'm like, "How's he doing that?" And I realized he's on his phone. And he's like, "I thought he was texting somebody." He's like, "No, no." He's like, I'm, "I got the app," you know. Um, so I had heard with the original Captor that the attenuator didn't offer much in the way of settings, right? 20 dB and, and off. I think the new one actually has three attenuation levels. I don't know exactly what the DB is, but basically this is, this is the way I've been describing them to people. Full bore, right? That's, that's all open. Yep. One switch down. It's half volume or less, maybe even quarter volume. Um, that is the attenuation level you would, and they consider it club level. Uh, it's pretty lofty for club level. I mean, like it's going to be damn quiet. Um, but it's perfect for condominium living or, you know, like, cause if you're not going to get your master over nine o'clock anyway, right. Like on a Mesa boogie, plug it in there and you got, you know, you're down to a quarter, a quarter of the volume. Um, and then the lowest setting was, uh, like baby in the next room. Okay. And it was like whisper quiet. Um, I was really shocked by how damn quiet it was. Um, and kind of like, wow, this is a setting that I didn't expect them to put on here. Uh, I want to say that was like negative 20 DB or something. Like it was intense. Um, and so I was, I honestly playing his, I was like, I was sold. I didn't need to buy a really fancy, expensive one. And it, and it had been on my Christmas list anyway, because I'm like, it's a product that I could use. Um, so what ended up happening was I was going to I was gonna sell the uh, the Kemper. I was going to buy a Captor X and an amp. Yeah. And then what happened was Black Friday hit, and they had the, the Captor X on sale for like $450 or something. Who was that? Sweetwater. Oh really? So, oh yeah. So I uh, snagged one immediately. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I thought it over for a day or two, and like I didn't want to do anything until I sort of knew what my holiday spending was going to look like. But I was like, as soon as I knew, I was like, get in the cart. Um, so it should be here tomorrow. I'm, I'm gonna 
play with it obviously when it gets here mm-hmm. and I'll have more to talk about next week about it. But um, my, my initial impressions of it, I was very impressed with the product. In fact, I was kind of shocked by how impressed with the product I was, because I figured like it's too good to be true. Like it's on paper, like it sounds really good. And then you'd get it and you'd play around with it. And you'd be like, well, this is kind of crappy. Like this isn't exactly what it was advertised as. Um, I actually really want to get the cab M as well. Um, and it's on sale and I believe it's only $250 right now. Uh, cab M is usually $350. So I don't know if that's a permanent price break, but the reason I want to get the cab M is because I also get free, I'll get free IRs with it. But the main reason is because I'd love to have the cab M on my pedal board for open mics yeah, and then I can just take my board. Now I'm doing that anyway. I'm using the ethos, and and I can do that anyway. But if I have the cab M, I can use literally any amp in a box pedal, um, and just run it into its power amp because it has like a power amp simulator in it, and then use the the same IRs I use with the with the cab, you know, the Captor X on my on my real amp. So I think that's I honestly think that's one of the slickest like marketing experiences I've ever seen where. We got two tools. There's your attenuator. This is your pedal board amp. This is your, you know, this is your studio tool. And like they got you know, three tools really. Um, and I am, I am really hoping that they stick around for in the industry for quite some time because I think two notes is is hitting it out of the park right now. You can throw, um, uh, you can throw your own IRs on here, right? Oh yeah, yeah. You can throw your own, or you can use their. Um, you can use their so like they have their own IR store and they have their own format and that allows you to get additional features because it allows you to do the mic blending and all that stuff. And actually um, I was watching Rabia Massad's video and I didn't realize this. So like the, the torpedo live, which was the big product before the, the uh, Captor X came out. Yeah. Um, the, the torpedo live had allowed you to do one microphone. The Captor X allows you to do two and blend them, Yep. which is pretty impressive because um, if you think about what that is, it's probably actually two separate IRs that's yeah. running at a time. That's, that's what it sh- it's saying. It's like running two, uh, two and, IRs. And Two Notes actually has been very vocal about the fact that they don't truncate their IRs when they convert them. So like the Helix chops off a piece of the IR. Yeah. And, and the Kemper does that. as well. The Kemper does as well. Like yep. fully willing to admit that. Um, I think Fractal does. But, it, but they have, like, a really high interpolation rate. Um, who is the other company? Uh, oh, Boss got in trouble because apparently their tube amp expander really truncates it and changes the crap out of the IR. Um, so the tube amp expander is, like, a product that a lot of people were really excited for. And I think a lot of people have gotten a lot of use out of it. But I don't think it's as... I don't think it's as amazing as people thought it was going to be. Um, the ox, I've heard very mixed reviews on the ox. I know some people are like ox all the way, but the ox box has its problems. I mean, I don't think they're even using IR based uh, cabinet models in the ox box. Cause no. I've heard him, I've heard him uh, play back to back with, you know, two notes and like the two notes just crushes it. Um, and the other problem is that the Oxbox reactive load actually is based on a deluxe reverb. So if you want to plug your Marshall Plexi into, <laughs> into the Oxbox, it's going to feel really different. <laughs> so you, um, can take, you can take the output of this, right, and send it to the speaker and take uh, 
the outputs above and put them to uh, your um, yeah, so it can so it can provide you a direct out. For, yeah, it can do it can do a two for one. So you can, um, it, this thing is good for for if you're taking your amp to a gig. You yeah. can throw it on top of the amp and. You can literally walk into the gig without a cabinet and use it too. That's what I'm um, saying. So it's and you can take it's totally, yeah, yeah, totally versatile. Pull the load um, right off and and put it in there. So I could take my 16 ohm load off there, throw it into this the cabinet, or I mean the the microphone, or I mean the speaker, throw it into. You this. have to have a 16 ohm version of it, yeah. But but it's, yeah. so that's the only thing they, I don't they like sell about a 16. Product. They sell a 16 and an eight. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, it's not but switchable. That's, yeah. That's what sucks is it's not switchable, but that's because the reactive load wants to see there's this, and it's just the way they designed it. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's like a paywall. I don't think that's the way that they have they've looked at their product. I doubt it. But it's just either but, for people with 16 ohm amps or like me, the Marshall that I have is 16 ohm. I believe. Well, all Marshalls, all Marshalls, I believe, are 16 ohm. I mean, at least all the ones I've owned have, have been. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, um, so if you I buy the 16 ohm one, I think you can run an 8 ohm off of it. Right. Right. I can. Or is it the other way? Don't but listen to me. I can. Check for yourself. But you yeah, can go but, one way, but you can't go the other. <laughs> right. I can, but they have a, they have a, they, yeah. It's you better if I just buy the 16. Because this is my Yeah, for is, sure. This is my thing. For sure. And you'd also, you would also be, you would need to make sure it's at least half the wattage or less. Um, There's, there's like some caveats there. Yep. But ultimately, like. I think these products are a nice bridge between the world of like Kemper and Helix and um, the world of real amps. Yeah. And I know that there's definitely people like I've made fun of purists on the show a lot. Um, I'm not a purist by any stretch. Like I'm totally willing to go digital where it needs to. Um, and I've done it. Like I've, I've shown everybody that I actually do. I'm, I'm willing to do crap that I, you know, a purist would would look at it and go, no, I'm not doing that. Wow. Um, I think that products like this are really the future. Yeah. I think that right now, digital is almost to the point where it's going to become, it's going to start eclipsing what we can do um, financially with tube amplification. Um, I think there will still be people like me out there that are like, I'd rather just have two amps and not have, you know, 50 different options. Because um, there are still people that suffer, suffer option paralysis. Like, well, uh, it's the yeah, same so people that use flip phones. You know, there's still flip phones out there, people. Hey, um, my, my father-in-law is that guy. He does not want this because he doesn't want all the crap that comes along right. with having one of these in his pocket. So let's let's talk for a minute about that. And I want to I, I kind of bring us to an end on that. Is that so, um, options, right? So... So I'm sitting here watching, uh, like I said, I'm in these Gibson forums, right? And you got studio or standard. Um, should I get a, a standard or a custom? Should I get this or this? Should I get this or this? I'm like, play it. Whatever it is you're going to get, play it. it it's, I, I watch these, um, we've, we've talked about this before. I watch these channels where these folks have, like, guitars. I've only got well, one, two, three, four. Um, that one's not mine. The the you can't see it, but it's behind me. Though. So one, two, three, four, five, and then my acoustic. I really only play like three, 
sometimes I bring that one. That one comes to a lot of open mics because the the um, this one uh, because it, it's very versatile in that in that respect. Uh, but I really at home pretty much play these three, um, and this one gets played a lot. But I just can't imagine um, and, and acoustic. Obviously, that's that's the one I don't have to plug in right. And I keep thinking to myself that these these folks that that um, that buy like a bazillion uh, things and they're always looking at the next one. What's the next better one? What's the next better one? And I think to myself, yeah, but is that is it, to get a guitar? First thing they want to do is change pick them. All right, I, I ordered. I ordered. Don't even have it yet. I yeah, ordered. and I've already ordered the pickups to go in the new guitar before yeah. you even played it. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah. Um, but I've done that. Well, technically, I didn't do it that way. But 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 it was like I bought the guitar knowing I was going to replace the pickups in it. Yeah. Because because I just I was like I don't like the stock pickups. Right. Uh, and there are definitely but, times where that's like okay. You're not, I guess you're not but, a beginner. Right. If you're if you're not like. If you've never owned a Strat and you're already buying the replacement pickups before the guitar shows up, there's something wrong. Right. <laughs> you might want to talk to your friends about. Yeah, you know, you've gas. you've watched too many podcasts <laughs> and um, too many YouTube the, videos. Yeah, you've watched too many YouTube videos. Um, I hear all the time people, and this is the other side of it. I hear all the time, and I and I don't want to p- pick on Phil McKnight. I'm going to because Phil's got a thick skin, nice guy. Plus, um, I. I this this thing is something I know he sees every week. He'll he'll be on his live podcast. Somebody will go, I just got a you know a, an American Pro Two whatever, and what pickups should I get? And he and and he always goes, well you know I like these and and he's very specific. I like these. Thing is, you don't know what you, you don't know if you like the same guitar pickups that when Phil McKnight likes. It's when was question? the last time you had a signature guitar that you? I can mean, I, it's like, can I? Oh, I got a bigger question. When was the last time he was on stage? Yeah. Well, when was the last time he played a gig? Like, well, what the hell? He, he he's the last up, guy you would want to ask that right. question of. He backed up Larry Miller doing bass. And when? So, right. Um, about a year ago. <laughs> no, it was yeah, about a year mean, ago. It was before COVID. I mean, I, I I don't think he would even say that he has a ton of live gigging experience. Yeah. Like. You would, you, I, in my estimation, if you're like serious about music, but, yeah, you'll find pickups you like, but then you'll get into a band situation. You'll be like, "Holy crap, I can't even hear myself." Well, yeah, and he records, but he records for himself. But the, but the, uh, again, I don't want to pick on him as a you know as a player or anything like that. That's not what I'm doing. the 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 thing is that even if you, as a listener, if you were a podcast listener of ours or a podcast listener of his, you don't really know what his stuff sounds like in the room when was the last time you were in the room with him when he played you know sure. i can say when i was you know sure. because I, I you know i got to meet him and and you know, you know in in 2018 when he, he was playing there but that that's a different thing it was a prs had nothing to do with the strat stuff and it wasn't his it was it was what they had in the play so the 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 point i'm making is that that you you you're I don't know. It's like people, it's that option paralysis. All right, got the guitar. Doesn't sound like the Strat I thought it was going to sound like. What do I have to do? Maybe you don't know what a Strat is supposed to sound like. 
or maybe the stra- the sound in your head isn't a strat at all. But but like, it'll be the same person that'll that'll say, yeah, the strat just doesn't sound like a way to. And what are you playing through? A spider, or the class. The classic example, Jim, and you're absolutely right, but the classic example is the guy that says, I want my Strat to sound like Les Paul. Oh, Wait, yeah. What? Then just get a damn Les Paul. Like, what the how hell? I, how do I get my Les Paul? When I when I split the, when I split the coils, it doesn't sound like a Strat. How come on Anderton's it sounded like a Strat? It didn't. It didn't. It, didn't. it never did. They never said it sounds like a Strat. What they said, it was a Stratty. And even then... When when they use that as a as a as a descriptor, it's it's disingenuous to Stratocasters. Right, right. I I think I think people have a tendency. It's like even me right now. Here I am in the middle of COVID, right, trying to buy an amplifier because I'm an idiot. Um, and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking to myself, like, you get no I argument don't, for me. <laughs> the things I'm yeah, but a lot of people, frankly. Um, I'm sitting here and I'm I'm looking at some of these uh these amplifiers and i'm going i'm watching youtube clips and stuff right and i'm going first off i absolutely know that youtube is the the worst place to listen to a boutique amp company because there's every idiot who owns one who thinks he's exclusive and cool is uploading camera footage from his cell phone in the 90s (laughs) um it's like it it, it's like all pixelated and and the audio quality is terrible we'll get to that in a minute because i have another commentary about those kind of videos um, and I, and I laugh because I'm like, I'm watching these videos. I'm like, yeah, that's the sound I want. That's the sound I want. Or, oh my God, like, why is this guy only playing Telecasters? Um, and I just kind of sit there and I, and I start realizing to myself, like, you really got to play it. I mean, until you have it in your hands and you've played it, you don't know what the hell it sounds like, especially when it comes to amplifiers and guitars. Um, yeah. and so these people are like, I want a strat. It's usually motivated by the fact that. Like all my heroes play strats, yeah. But that doesn't mean you necessarily like the sound of one. That's right. Like when you sit down and you actually play one, you might find out your technique doesn't work on a strat. It may sound like crap. Um, and so just thinking about amplifier, like I wasn't by honest by all accounts, I am not a strat guy in the sense that I didn't gravitate towards a strat. I bought the strat because it was cheap, and for whatever reason, like. It just kept coming back to that's the guitar that I'm good at. Like okay. that's the one that, that like I can make do the most things. Yeah. And so that's why I just kind of gravitate towards them now. Um, but uh, in terms of the camera camera quality video thing, <laughs> when you see these people and they're posting their videos and like this is what it sounds like in the room and it's just a camera video, there are two types of those. Number one, there's the one where the camera is so distorted you can't hear anything. And then there's the other type of video where the camera is actually reflecting naturally what's happening in the room. And you're like, oh, my God, that sounds terrible because you're not really actually used to listening to it in the room. You're used to being like a foot from the speaker. And like like even right now, so I can hear my echo coming through my microphone into my headphones. And I know that that's my room. Like I can hear that echo and I know that's the sound of my room. Um, people don't realize that that sounds a lot more prominent than they think it is. Right. So when you when you put them in a situation where they have to listen to their amp, and and it's like a room mic, they're like, "That sounds terrible." No, it really doesn't. That's actually what it sounds like in the room. You just need to learn to accept it. Um, and the fact is, like in those sorts of situations, actually, I like those videos because you can tell how much gain, you can tell how how loud it is. 
Um, and it's kind of funny because those are the ones that have like sold me more products because I'm like, okay, that amp obviously is really aggressive or that amp is really demure depending on what it is. And I'm, you know, kind of make a decision based on that. Um, so it's just interesting. And then of course the other commentary I have here, cause we're talking about the videos and I know I've talked for a really long time. Trust me, this one's gold. I challenge people to get on, um, go on YouTube, look at the common Dr. Z amps, look at the Maz, look at the Antidote, look at the Carmen Gia, look at the, um, I mean, basically any of them, but like maybe the EMS, right? You will see people playing Telecasters through them almost exclusively. And I don't know what the hell that's all about. Like why people with Telecaster, I know, but that's not, but that's like, it's clear that when you watch some of these guys, they don't know anything about Brad Paisley. Like they're really good players. They're killer players, but they don't know about Brad Paisley. And they're sitting there playing a Telecaster. And then when they plug in their Strat, like they're goosing the amps so that gets all this cut and stuff, and like the treble is just ridiculous. Nobody's gonna use an amp that's set up like Brad Paisley sets his amp up in any other scenario than country music. No one, no right. one. And I can tell you from playing these amps, they don't sound like that. You can actually get them to be pretty dark. Well, um, yeah, it's just it drives me crazy. He that, is the famous Doctor Z player. Yeah, I know, I know, but but. If I were and 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 here's where I'm gonna here's gonna put my my industry hat on. If I were Doctor Z, I'm not nothing against Brad Paisley. He's obviously an amazing guitar player. I've seen him live myself. Um, I would be looking for a second or a third amazing player to play my amps. Oh, I'm because I you got to get out of that pigeonhole. If they're only for country, that's crap. Yeah, and, and you know it's funny because obviously Brad Paisley is is like the guy that people know plays. But there's, there's a he can't be their only customer. List of other people, he can't be their only customer. And so, yeah, there's a lot of people that play Doctor Z. If you go yeah. on the website, you can see their artist roster. And I was actually kind of surprised yeah. there were quite a few names in there that you did not expect to see. Yeah, and and, and I think that's a big thing. But you got to remember that also with Doctor Z, that the downside of Doctor Z, which is actually also their upside, is they're very picky about who gets to sell their stuff. Sure. Um, sure. I know Parkway Music in upstate New York, Clifton Park, New York. They, they're Dr. Z people. Um, they're very few uh, because uh, they're... They they're protective a, of their dealers. They they operate a lot like Mesa Boogie. That's I, I was going to say. And a lot of people that are Dr. Z dealers are also Mesa Boogie dealers because they yeah, have a, lot, a very a lot of time. similar... Yeah, they have a very similar way of doing things. Um, and that's why it makes sense that it goes hand in hand. Same with Rickenbacker and folks like that. It's easier for them to understand that relationship. Yeah. Um, I and and Doctor Z just still does a lot of direct sales too. Yeah. That's another. That's another. They won't tell you that, but you can go direct to Doctor. You can call them up and that you can order whatever you want. They'll right. they'll take your money. Right. Um. In fact, they'll build amps that are not even in production for you if you want. And usually they'll do it at the prices that they were they were uh, discontinued at, yeah. which is pretty amazing when you consider it. Um. I I uh. I don't know. I, I, I've looked at some other companies. I've looked at Sir. I've looked at, um, I've looked at, uh, well, I mean, I, you guys know I've looked at Friedman and I've looked at all the other, yeah. like, low level boutique or like sort of boutique companies. Um, I think Dr. C is more likely to get my money than any of the other guys. And I think it's because of the genuineness. Like, I met Dr. C and he was a nice guy. 
and he honestly like really loves amplification and like how amplifiers work and the circuits and he can take dude's like an encyclopedia when you talk to him about it um but they gave me the red carpet treatment at gear fest when i walked up to that booth and they were like here take this guitar and play it and they didn't know i was from a podcast or anything they were treating everybody like that yeah and then and then they let me sit there for 20 minutes and like the guy was um i was playing through the nova which is supposed to be like a jtm 45 slash uh basement circuit right i was probably closer to basement circuit because it's got 606s i think um and he's like, I'm like, well, I'm like, it's great. I'm like, I really like the circuit and everything. And he, he says, he says, you're a game guy, aren't you? And I said, I said a little bit more than what, what's on tap here. So they brought out their drive pedal and plugged me in with that. And then let me go for another five or 10 minutes. And the whole time they were like working with me directly. And it was very much them saying, this is what we do. We, we know that not everybody has had the opportunity to see the array of amplifiers we offer and that, you know, we're a small quantity shop. And I was, like I said, once I started playing and like, I know people were paying attention to what's going on. Cause that's just what happens. Like at, at gear fest, whenever you get into a booth and somebody's like turning stuff up and like everybody in the vicinity turns around and looks, um, I, that was when Dr. Z came over and started talking to me and like, we had a good conversation and, and, told him what I thought of this company and like his, you know, just, just the uh, mantra that comes out of there. And it was a good experience and actually left me like walking away from gear fest, kind of going someday, you know, I'll probably, I will probably line his pockets a little bit. Yep. Um, and I, I do intend to do so, even if it's just a pay, getting him to do the mods to update a used amp. Um, I feel strongly that we need companies and people with knowledge that, you know, can actually run, this kind of stuff because we are going to be in a diminishing world we're going to have we will have a digital age of guitar amplification and it's going to happen soon not later people are acting like 30 years from now it's going to be a lot sooner than that i mean the products that are coming down the pipe now are the best they've ever been obviously um and they are to the point where many pros are like it's good enough um and I think we're going to see more and more of that as time goes on. Now, of course, you're going to have your your holdouts. You're going to have people like me. They're like, I still want tubes. Um, but it it's going to shrink. And it's going to become a niche thing. And I could see paying $4,000 for a tube amplifier in the next 10 years. Yeah. I, think, I think they're going to start shooting up in price. They already started to, though. Like, look at the production amps. Look at what you get in a production amp now for like $450 or $500 compared to what you got in a production amp for 450 or 500 dollars 10 years ago. Look at uh, if you look at uh, uh, what is it the Fender Blues Junior? Yeah. It's 550 bucks. I mean it used to be a 350 dollar amp. Exactly. The Blues Junior right now and it is as basic as it gets. The only other one that's more basic is the Pro Junior. And I don't know how many people have told me I'm going to buy a Pro Juniors because it's just a scaled down version of the Hot Rod Deluxe. The what? <laughs> the Fender Blues Junior is now five ninety nine or six seventy four. That's totally not worth it. Totally not worth and, it. No, I'm just saying. So if you took that, let's say you went. Um, what have I got? A um, uh, Mar- uh, Marshall DSL forty uh, CR. Right, so 
right now. That's a more expensive. That's a more expensive. That's the next step up. Yeah. Yeah. 750 bucks. And it's $150 for my, my switch. That's $900 total. That is considered to be a budget amp folks. And that's, yeah. And that's exactly what I was about to say. That is a budget tube amp. Um, yeah. I've got the foot switch. Dude, I've watched my Mark V go up in value because of the um, the price hikes. And I just kind of sit there and I go, wow. Like in five years, because I've only had that amp like five years. In five years, it went from being, oh, I've had it six years now. Um, it went from being, uh, I think I paid thirteen fifty for it. Yep. They're like seventeen fifty or $1,800 now. Yep. Um. And the cabinet prices have gone up. I remember when you could buy a one by twelve Mesa Boogie cabinet for like 300, 300 bucks flat. Now it's like four hundred flat. Yep. You know, four four hundred four fifty. Um, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't be raising their prices. Obviously, there's been inflation, and um, that's that's a part of doing business, right? Yeah. But um, and 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 I think like even when we're talking about the Blues Junior. I think some of that's not just inflation. I think that's literally like tubes are becoming harder to get quality ones. And I, I actually found out some more about that too. Um, I was watching a doctor's EAMA and he actually talked about why he's using these Russian off brand tubes. And he said, because I can get, I can get mil spec new old stock tubes from Russia um, for next to nothing. And he's like, that's superior to what I'm getting from new production because they are still using the same dyes that they were using in the 1970s and 1980s to produce tubes. And those dyes are basically ruined. And so at this point, because they're just trying to overextend the life of things that they need to replace, um, the filaments and all the things that go into the tube are just not being manufactured to tight tolerances. And so even 15 years ago, um, new production tubes were probably better than what you're getting now. Um, So any company that's stockpiling like Mesa Boogie or whatever is probably going to have decent tubes in the long run yeah. um i have a feeling at some point ehx because if you didn't know this electroharmonics pretty much owns all the tube production um right now uh and it, so it's like jj there's other companies but they they own the the factory that's producing most of the stuff and um at some point they're going to have to make new dyes this whole idea that they're going to stretch those dyes forever like i get it dyes and tooling are expensive I used to work at a manufacturing shop. Like I know that that's, that's a huge expenditure, but you can't produce tubes if they're not reliable enough for you to sell them, um, which is starting to become a problem. Cause like, according to doctors, he's like, well, they're not, they're noisy now. And that's one thing, but I think he's basically saying like, they're noisy now and they're going to start failing sooner in the very near future. And then that's going to be a real problem. Cause he can't, he can't stock something that's going to fail. Um, so that's, that's a big, that's a big part of it. I, I, I forgot where I was going with that, but I just thought that was interesting and wanted to share that. I, yeah, I can, it comes up to that, that whole, um, like I said, that, 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 what's the word I want that, that option paralysis. It also Mm -hmm. starts the ball rolling on the gear acquisition syndrome. Because you, you you start to think, oh, well, <clears throat> I got this strap. Let's, let's say you got, uh, uh, what is it, the performer? That's the standard now? Yeah, um, whatever. 
you got the you got the Mexican one, <laughs> the one that's well, the, the import. <laughs> the performer, I think, is the bottom. The, the the what used to be the American standard. Okay. And so right. the player series are the are the Mexican import. So let's say you got a perform you got a performer, <clears throat> um, or the Pro Two even. Let's say that's the middle one. Right? That was the deluxe. So you got a Pro Two. You get a Pro Two. You get it in. You go. Oh, you know what? This is good. But I wonder if I should get you know better pickups. Start throwing pickups at it. Then you, oh, you know what? I should start doing. And, and you gotta wonder what is that based on? Um, you know, it, it, was it based on hours and hours and hours of playing, or was it based on hours of, of thinking that, well, this neck isn't quite good enough. Maybe if I did this to the neck, should I, should I, you know, upgrade to this one? Because a lot of people, like you said, they don't know what a strat sounds like or feels like. Let's let's face it. So if I went to a '60s Strat, I'd hate the damn thing. Yeah, I'd hate sure. it. Seven and a quarter inch radius? Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, I don't want that. I mean, were, were there? Uh, I don't know. In the '60s, did they get to the nine and a half inch radius yet? By then? Uh, I think in the late '60s. Yeah. So let's say let's face it. Um, uh, Jimi Hendrix was playing a seven and a quarter inch radius. Right. Yeah, most like most likely. Um, I think some of the his era guitars because that was that was around the seventies. They were starting so to switch over to nine and a half. He might have had some yeah. nine and a I believe that was and and you got to remember also when they say seven point two five inch radius back then, it's not CNC, so it's seven and a quarter to nine. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> it's like, exactly. It's and that weird. nine and a half might have been a ten. Um, yeah. Uh, and and so anyway, like I said, that 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 feel. When you grab one, like when I grabbed the, um, uh, oh, what the hell is the name of that uh, PRS? The 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 one that was made for Mary. Silver Sky. The Silver Sky. When I grabbed the Silver Sky because that's a seven and a quarter. I was like, wow, this sucks. I hate this. I, there's a lot of people that love it. I mean, they love it. Yeah. I didn't I, like I, it. I heard a lot of people who loved it in the beginning, but the more and more I talk to people now, it's like, that was kind of a bad move. <laughs> like that was a bad decision. Um, option paralysis in term. This is this is the weird. I guess the weird juxtaposition that I think is more interesting than option paralysis. Like we talk about gas, we talk about people blowing money on stuff they don't need. We talk about people going down a path of like, I think I need this gear because X person plays it or whatever. You know what's really messed up? So like I've been on the gear page more because I've been off of Facebook. And when I'm on the gear page, I can't tell you how many threads of like, um, tell me about X or like, uh, I really want X or Y. Like, is this good? Do you guys think this is good? And or and it's usually not like the whole thread title, but like you drill down and there's somebody in there talking about it. Like, hey, is this any good? Like, um, I think that's totally the wrong approach to take. If you're in a if you're in a thread and you're asking if it's any good. Your better option is probably just buy it, try it out, and then either send it back or flip it. Yeah. Like, um, especially if you're going to buy used, flip it, of course. But um, I've done that a lot. That's that's how I've gotten kind of like some of my, my taste and pedigree on, on certain things. But the interesting component about that is there is a right way to do that. And that is to say, I'm looking for X need, recommend you know, recommend why. And people will, people will tell, give you examples and you can generate a list. And then you can use that list to go and do research 
and narrow down your choices and do your pro and cons list and find what you're looking for. Find it down to three products. Um, maybe maybe do something like I like this manufacturer, so they're going to be on the list. And then go and you know either acquire them or try them out in some way if COVID is not going on. And then come back and report your results as I like this one, I like this one, I like this one, or I hate all of these, and really that's probably not what I want. Um, I think that's a safer way to do it than to approach it as, is this any good? Like, because then you're just going to end up in this this endless cycle of people being like, um, I don't like my strap. Well, maybe you should get a Les Paul. Or maybe you should change your pickups. Or maybe your fret wire is wrong. Or maybe you need a new bridge. Or maybe, and I've seen all of these things, especially when it comes to strats, because they're like they're like Lego guitars. Yeah, you need a new neck. And I I've met people who have like had three or four complete guitars go through their hand because they've just swapped parts out. Yep. And, and, and it just it's just mind blowing to me. It's just, you obviously don't like the guitar. Like if you keep buying bodies and necks and pickups, you don't like the guitar. What right. the hell? You know. Right. That's right. Why'd you buy it to begin with? It, yeah, it, it's a um, it's a cycle. You're going to go through a cycle. And uh, the, the fact is um, that uh, if you if you grabbed it at the store and you weren't. You're a new player and you didn't really know. You should have just got whatever, you know, that, that it, it, it's difficult to um, to. Uh, you know, really uh, communicate what I'm trying to say here without sounding um, bad is that, that some people, I'll tell you, some people never care. They don't care what it feels like. They'll just play it. I get the feeling that was what, yeah, go ahead. I think that was the, I think that was the sixties and seventies in a nutshell, man. Yeah. I think a lot of, and this is, this is going to sound like heresy, but a lot of the dogma about like you need the 61 or the 62 strat and you need a 59 Les Paul is because there were a lot of guys playing them in professional situations. And I don't necessarily know that they nece- they knew what they had. You no. hear about people like like Bernie Marsden buying the beast from somebody. And yeah. it was like, yeah, it was a good Les Paul. But like they didn't they, they it never occurred to them. They were rare or that, you know, no. um, why it was good. It was just yeah, I like that guitar. I play well, a lot. Well, the fact is they were rare because they were on their way out. Yeah, okay? they weren't popular when they were making them. Nobody wanted them. Gibson couldn't give them away. I mean, it was like, you know, okay, well, here they are. And uh, and, and shop owners were like, oh, we got a discount. We got a deep discount. They, when you think about um, the Stratocaster and the way the Stratocaster became super famous, right? I mean, look at, look at what happened. I mean, um, Billy Holly played a Stratocaster uh, because it was, or Buddy Holly, sorry, uh, because he got a Stratocaster. I mean, it was like, how many guitars do you think were out there, guys? How many electric guitars do you think existed? Right? Like five. Solid body. Yeah. Five at that time. There we're talking the Telecaster, 19- there was the Stratocaster, there was the Les Paul, yep. and then there was like... Um, Dan Electro, I think, had just come out with one. And I think Rickenbacker actually had something at that at that time. Yeah. So when you're looking at the at the mid to late 50s, you're looking at um, a very select few electric guitars in the in the solid body category. Yeah. Right. You know, the, the Spanish guitar they call them. 
Um, I was just going to say, in all of the sales literature, they were Spanish guitars, yeah. and nobody wanted them in the beginning because it was seen as a weird thing. Like, why would you want – it was like when the first keyboards debuted, and people were like kind of shocked and awed by it, meaning yep. the first synthesizers. Right. They're kind of shocked and awed by it. Like, what is, what is this for? You know, like uh, – this yeah. is not something we normally use. And so relative to a lot of other professional gear, they were inexpensive. Yes. Yeah. So if you were to go out and buy at that at that time, um, of course, it sounds shocking. Uh, but I think uh, I think the price of a Les Paul was like two hundred fifty or three hundred dollars. Yeah, it was and like three hundred bucks. With a case. bucks yeah. They didn't come with a case. You had not to pay originally. like an extra forty or fifty dollars for the case. Yeah. So, yeah. When they say original case, it was it was because they originally bought a case, which was yeah. separate. Um. So, uh, we 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 kind of look at those times with this reverence of, you know, awe, and we forget that it was not very standard. It Nobody was, gave a crap about this stuff when it was coming out. Oh. Like, Hey, are you yeah, done sanding those oh, necks, right. Bob? We're we're heading out to the bar. Are you done sanding that neck? Yeah, I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm done. Talking. I'm done with this damn thing. <laughs> Next thing you know, it's on Peter Green's Les Paul, and and that's how the the pickups got wound, you know, wound backwards. Yeah, <laughs> or or um uh, all this other stuff that happened. I mean, Bernie, Bernie Marsden's uh, was it the Beast. You said. Yeah, um, he's got the Beast. Yeah, he's got the Beast. Um, uh, let's see, Clapton had one. Uh, Joe Walsh famously gave or sold his to somebody. Else. All these, I think it was Jimmy Page, right? Didn't Joe Walsh? Yeah, so I think so, I think some, somehow it ended up in Jimmy Page's hands or something. Yeah, like something that. like that. But anyway, so all these all these Les Pauls that were going around, there was only like a couple hundred of them. Yeah, they, they were just getting traded back and forth. It was hilarious. Yeah. And so these guys, they all knew each other. Yeah, man, you got you know you got a hit of acid for me. Yeah, you play this time. I mean, it was. <laughs> You want to believe yeah. that that didn't happen, didn't but that care. was reality. They didn't, they didn't care that this stuff was – they had no idea that any of the market share stuff was going to happen with these instruments. Yeah. No, the only one that might have known, and the only reason I say might have known, because he was probably the best businessman out of the entire lot, was Jimmy Page. Page. Because yeah. he, he stockpiled stuff he never even played. And it was like, why was he doing that? Yeah. Um. Part of it was trade secret, like the Supros he was buying was like a trade secret thing. But the other thing that that he was stockpiling was Les Pauls. Yeah, he has a bunch of them, um, and they're all sitting in warehouses and stuff in England. I, I've heard that uh, in various places he has over a thousand of them. Somebody um, else, and they're that... all like period Les Pauls. So they're worth you know twelve, thirteen thousand dollars in in a lot of cases. And some of them are worth way more than that. So, uh, um, uh, somebody else that stockpiled a lot of that stuff was uh, Rick Nielsen. Yeah, yeah, he's got the 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 crazy ones with the the um was the Aldo Les Pauls or whatever. Yeah, um, he's got a bunch of them, I guess. Yeah, he's got he's got more Aldo Nova Les Pauls than than Aldo, Aldo Nova. Nova himself does. <laughs> it's yeah. like I, I think there's only like ten, and and like eight of them are with uh, uh, Rick Nielsen. Yeah, Rick Nielsen. That's a, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but not by much. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there were fifty made. I honestly don't. I don't think. I don't know if there were. Yeah, it's there. a very, very small number, and it, and it, from my understanding, it's like it's such a small number that they actually don't know how many of them exist anymore. Yeah, yeah. Because they probably lost one or two here and there to damage and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, if there was a Les Paul that I want knocked off, that would be the one. <laughs> yeah, that's that not one to do. Les Paul. 
they're ugly as sin too. I, I mean, I know it was totally functional. Yep. Like it was done for function, but I was yeah. like, God, that's ugly. Like, that's, what were you thinking? It's um, the Kramer hockey stick head headstock on a on a Les Paul. And a lot of people think, I mean, even, like I said, even the Gibson forums, I'll see it, they'll, they'll be like, oh, that's got to be a fake, or who, who stuck this Kramer yeah. next time? Yeah. No. Yeah. That is a Aldo, then you go, that's an Aldo Nova um, signature Les Paul, and people go, who the fuck is Aldo Nova? <laughs> well, and the, and the vast majority of people that, like, would say that, like, have never seen an Aldo Nova ever, yeah. ever go through their hands. Even Gibson. I bet Gibson has one. Yeah. If they have any. They if one. they have any, because that was um, such a small run. There's there's only like a few real collectors in the Les Paul. I mean, other than like Bottomasa, Page. Oh, you're talking about the people that collect them, yeah. Yeah, Bottomasa, I mean, there are people Page, that collect them. Um, there are private collectors too, believe it or yeah, not. Yeah, there's, but, there's but, some private collectors. There's, uh, but there's you got to be rich. Yeah, you got to have a lot of money. And these guys are collecting them for to, to make mortgage payments. That's all I got yeah. later. I mean, dude. Um, yeah, but like, you know Norm's rare guitar. That's how he got started. Yeah. Um, well, he he got started with he had a room of what was junk. Yes. And then ended up turning it into gold because the the uh, vintage guitar boom happened in the early nineties. That's right. Which and one of his biggest early ones was um, I want to say the Rosewood Telly that uh, um, was a George Harrison. Yep, the Harrison one. Yeah. Um, so he's he's one of those people. He was like, I don't know why I want to hang on to these because his wife was like, get these, you know, get these out of here. And he was like, he had he had a back room. Like that was the whole thing. Was like, I have all the crappy stuff that nobody wants in the back room. And then yep. eventually it was like, people were showing up and they were like, we want to see the back room. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, wait a minute, <laughs> people actually want this stuff. Yeah. And then the prices start going up. And then it's like that's all that happens. Yeah, but uh, he's he's an interesting cat. I'd love to get him on the show. I'd love to pick his brain for a little bit about what it's like to be a vintage guitar retailer. Yeah, yeah. Um, him, the guys at Mandy's Music were in it at that time. Um, of course, Norm is still at it. Uh, Wildwood is still at it. But, yeah, there's a lot of pri- private collectors. Sometimes I'll see these posts, and I'm like, how in the heck? You've got to have a lot of money because it's a lot of money tied up in those things. Or they're just making payments and and – like I know of people that around here who have had a '59 Les Paul, and it's like, how did you ever buy? They mortgaged their house, and they paid 500 bucks a month, you know, just to have a Les Paul. That's crazy, and you know, and to have a Les Paul that you could never play. Yeah. In. Oh, I don't know. I think some of the guys I know would would wouldn't think twice about gigging it, but it's like the dumbest thing in the world that if you do that, like. Uh, there's a guy in this area, that, only one that I know of personally. I'm sure there's more than one collector in the area. But there's this one guy I know, um, and he's he's uh, got some some crazy money. Um, but you would never – Yeah, I think to, we talked about him before. Yeah, I think I didn't talking about. You'd never know it. He's this ragtag-looking guy, you know. Is a, he drives a Camaro, you know, the, the – um, Yeah, he plays uh, a 61 Strat and a yeah, – 58 Les Paul. Yeah, he's got some, re- yeah, and he's got some really good stuff. And he, every time something rare comes in, he's the first guy to call, you know, yeah. um, locally. But call that guy because he'll probably buy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he sits and plays them. He doesn't, he doesn't just look at them and go, oh, let's see, you know, this, 
he sits and he'll he'll be with that guitar for three or four hours on an amp, um, plugged in playing. So he doesn't just uh, touch it. We had, like I said, we had that uh, forty thousand uh, dollar Strat come through. But that's the thing that collectors can do, though. They can they can sell a really really expensive piece and you know to get something else. So that's tough. I. I uh, I couldn't do it. I couldn't. I, I want to play my guitar. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I don't have anything that I want. I really don't want to have. I mean, I know people that have $10,000 guitars laying around. Yep. They got like two or three of them. And it's like, I just don't want to do that. Like, I can't live in a world where I have bad enough problems. Like, this is a part of the Kemper conversation. I have bad enough problems dealing with the anxiety of knowing I have 20 something hundred dollars wrapped up into something and that that um that investment is dwindling as time goes on like i have a tough enough time dealing with that and i can't imagine what it would feel like owning a ten thousand dollar guitar where i'm taking a piece of plastic with a sharp edge and banging it into it as hard as i can you know two or three nights a week like the nags thing we saw some nags when i was in uh, michigan and i was like Wow. Why? Why would you buy an eggs? It's gross. Yeah. Yeah. And they're super expensive. Well, we also thought... apparently all the I know we've, we're over. I just wanted to, I wanted to finish one one more thought. Apparently, out of the Michigan trip, what we realized was that everybody wants rail hammer pickups. Apparently, because all of the local builders there use rail hammer pickups, and I'm like, that's like the last pickup I would want. <laughs> like, what? Wow. What the hell? Um probably cheap and local that's that's my guess yeah well uh nick definitely needs to be their replacement yeah well that's why i was saying like he needs to get in there like screw this yeah i don't know if he wants to i I mean i can't speak for him but i I wonder if he wants that kind of work that kind of uh (laughs) no no, but he wouldn't mind taking on a small yeah like a small run for somebody or something and then that's something he was i thought i I, think i i'm speaking for him yeah he can come on the show and tell us if he wants to I um, I thought about getting uh, uh, what's the guy's name Jeff Sen right that builds uh, tellies for people in Nashville. Thought about doing yeah, he's Jeff one, Sen. He's one of them. It's it's a lot <coughs> more affordable than I thought it would be. It's a lot cheaper than uh, you know that um, six thousand dollar Adam Jones uh, <laughs> twelve thousand 